does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Happy Monday to you here on the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison coming to you from the drivehuber.com studios. Month of May continues to deliver. Alex Plow wins the GMR Grand Prix over the weekend, setting himself up for what he hopes is going to be a very thrilling and achievement-driven May. Already one step towards that goal. Had Game 7 of Celtic 76ers yesterday, even though it didn't quite live up to the hype that you would expect a Game 7 to give you outside of the individual performance by Jason Tatum. Then, of course, the NBA playoffs as a whole. Rewind the clocks back three years ago. James, it felt like all the Mickey Mouse comments and the, <laughs> oh, the bubble doesn't really matter and doesn't count. We're, we're at the top of mind throughout the end of the bubble in 2020 into the resumption of the NBA season in 2021 and yet here we are three years removed and the bubble final repeats itself in both sides (laughs) of the Eastern and Western Conference with LA and Denver and with Boston and Miami maybe we weren't wrong when we saw what happened in the bubble in terms of where those franchises were setting their building blocks the only one you could really argue about is Miami and we've talked about it it's a very unique postseason for them to this point and they've taken advantage of the opportunities in front of them yeah, I think it's a bit overblown because the teams are a lot different outside of the Stars. The Lakers look completely different, obviously, than they were the last time they were um, in the Western Conference Finals. But it is funny to just look back at that bubble season. And i am always been on the side of that season was one of the hardest in NBA history and probably the most even championship because you played in the same gyms. You had the same uh, recovery time because you weren't flying anywhere. Um, you lost all your home game advantages and all those things. And so I thought it was pretty fair to look at the bubble as pure basketball and the best team winning, which was the Lakers at the time. Now, I had a lot of family members who don't agree. <laughs> they don't like LeBron either, but that's fair. Uh, you know, you, you got to have somebody to hate out there, and I think that makes sports fun. But jokes aside, I thought that uh, what we're seeing here is in some degree like what great players are able to do when you're able to just carry your team there. Um, obviously, for the Lakers, what a midseason trade can do for you. And then for, I think, Miami of every all the four teams left is what you can do when you just take advantage of every break you get. And they have. And that's one thing that, that Miami has done very well um, since the Eric Spolstra era really started. And I give him a lot of credit because to have the success that you've had post-LeBron is really great. Because usually, if you look at teams post-LeBron, they're terrible. And they've been able to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals. I believe this is their third time in four years. And so, um, you know, hats off to that team. And at this point, they keep winning. You know, Tyler Hero might be available, you know, later down the line. So, um, you know, each win just makes them better in the long run. We've talked about where the Pacers are at in all this over the last couple of weeks and how perhaps there's an opportunity within the Eastern Conference to be able to make up some ground faster than you would have expected, depending on how this offseason goes for them. And and before we look at their pathway to that, because it is going to be a pretty big, it is going to be a pretty big potential franchise, either shifting moment tomorrow or 
once you finally have when the NBA draft lottery is announced tomorrow night in Chicago, once you have an idea of where they're going to be at, we're going to dive into that the next couple of days of, okay, this is who is likely going to be available for them. This is the type of pieces they can kind of look for and try to build around as the NBA draft approaches next month. But I want to stay in the Eastern Conference for a second while sprinkling in the West because it's a two-part story. I was a little surprised by this. I get it. I understand that Suns owner Matt Ishbia wants to be in control of the entirety of that franchise moving forward. Rightfully so. He's invested a lot of money (laughs) to be able to be the owner of that team. And he flexed his power card, so to speak, already once when they acquired Kevin Durant. Then Monty Williams gets ousted shortly after their elimination by the Denver Nuggets in that series last week. Now the Milwaukee Bucks, we had mentioned also last week, Mike Boonholz are shown the door, and a couple of different reports suggest that, rightfully so, because I think Monty Williams is a pretty good coach, the Bucks are, are intrigued by him as a potential candidate. So that was a lot to unpack there, but for you, your initial reaction to Monty Williams being let go and shown the door by the Suns, and then the idea that, again, Milwaukee looking for a different leader to kind of guide them and navigate through them to the championship expectations they want to return to if that pairing would happen how does that change if at all what Milwaukee is right now yeah to be honest I was not surprised by the Monty Williams firing and it's always funny when they say oh they mutually agreed to part ways it's like (laughs) no he was fired like no one mutually agrees to leave a job that they I would assume he liked or he loved and he enjoyed not surprised by it Um, people can argue about the optics of it and was it the right decision but I think this wasn't a decision based off of this season alone it's just how they've gone out the last few years they were up 2-0 in the finals you lose four straight you come back the following season you get blown off your home floor you know against Luka Doncic and the Mavericks and I believe they were actually up 3-2 in that series they went two straight and I mean blow you out it was not close it was embarrassing there were a bunch of memes on Twitter about it and there's still memes about it there's the, you know, everybody acting tough when they're up, quote from Luca, and that's been the epitome of the Suns. And then this season that just happened, you have an opportunity to force a game seven, you come home, and you get blown off your floor again. Now, I get it, you were down Chris Paul, you were down DeAndre Aiden, but you still have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, and you lost by, you know, at one point it was a 30 point game, never really close. That's embarrassing. And so I think that's why he probably got the boot is because of the way they've gone out the last few years. And, um, again, I'm not saying it's fair, but in sports, the coach is the, always the first thing to go. Yeah, Like when things got rocky with the Colts last season, we all knew, like, okay, at some point Frank Reich might not be here the next week or whenever it might be just because that's what happens. And I'm not saying that's the right thing to do every single time. And, you know, sometimes I think those decisions are rushed, but I'm not surprised by it one bit. And I'm not surprised that he's going to get an opportunity somewhere else, potentially Milwaukee, because he has had experience coaching superstars. Um, He's very highly thought of as a human being. Like, Monty Williams is one of the best people in the NBA. And that's just not me saying some, you know, lip service. The guy's been through a lot personally and has very high character. And I think that sometimes it's not about, like whether the coach is an X's and O's, is he, can he execute, does he know the game? It's like, can you manage egos? Can you just be a new, refreshing voice for a franchise? Sometimes you just need a new look. And as you all know, Jimmy, you've been you know around sports long enough. Coaches come and go. Like you very rarely have a Bill Belichick 
Greg Popovich type where you just stay forever through every era, every iteration. You're either going to get hired and get an extension or you're going to get hired, get an extension, and then get fired because that's just what happens in sports. You brought up Frank Reich, which I think is an interesting comparison. I thought the same thing when the dismissal of Monty Williams occurred because you've run your course to some extent would be the argument, right? He's been there for a number of years and we're not seeing continued growth and improvement top to bottom from this roster. With Reich, I felt like the way the roster was not entirely constructed, but at least what they did at the most important position at quarterback, he had a large say or large voice in those conversations, whether it was Carson Wentz, whether it was Matt Ryan, whether it was Philip Rivers, obviously varying degrees of a decent run with Rivers, and then we all know what happened with Wentz and Ryan. But there was a point where, okay, he made his voice heard within the front office Mm -hmm. to make moves happen. And when they don't pan out that way, okay, you deserve to be punished. I bring that back to Monty Williams, and I say, well, a lot of the reason it felt like they had so much struggles this year, and in particular this series against Denver, was they gutted most of their depth to go make that Kevin Durant trade. Not to say that they were as thin as some of uh, the other lower teams within the West, but he's working with what he has. Now, would most coaches say, hey, if you give me Devin Booker and Kevin Durant in my roster, sign me up. I'll take my chances mm-hmm. there. That was, by all accounts, a Matt Ishbia move to go swing for the fences and go get Kevin Durant. So when the response is, and I get it, it's sports. You're right, coaches come and go. You have to give a scapegoat. With Reich, I didn't feel like it was fully a scapegoat move as much as it was, okay, his hands were just as much on these personnel decisions at that position as anybody else with Williams. I'm sure his voice was taken into account, but it felt like Matt Ishbia saying, I own this team. I want to take a big swing for this team. Let's go get KD. And then when the results don't pan out, well, it's Monty Williams' fault. We need to let him go. Yeah, it's always the coach's fault. Right, um, right. But I, I think there's some dynamics there. Like, the NBA is a player's league. Oh, yeah. So you're always going to – like, players have more power over there than the NFL, quite frankly. Even, like, LeBron, Tom Brady. LeBron has more power in the NBA than Tom Brady ever had in the NFL. Just how it goes, and you also have more sway. Like, like you, a best player in the NBA changes things more than a best player in the NFL, just because of how the teams work. There's more variables. I mean, you can have the best quarterback ever, but he can't play offense and defense and block. Mm-hmm. NBA, you got a great player. You know, you got a Giannis, you got a LeBron, you got a Kawhi, you got some of these guys. Steph, they can do all these different things to influence the game. And so, I think that. When you're looking at a team and you traded for Kevin Durant, you're going to choose Kevin Durant, obviously, over whatever coach because you think you can make it work. But I think what they miscalculated was, you know, they gave away some of their depth, a lot of their depth, actually, that made them as good as they were, which you have to do to get a guy like Kevin Durant. But then Kevin Durant looks like he's declining. Like, that was the worst I've seen him play just from a shooting standpoint. Like, these are shots that he makes. And also, I mean, I I feel like more time – will help them because I don't think they really ran any offense. Definitely, and I was yeah. watching the offense and it looked horrible. It was just, all right, Devin Booker, you go one-on-one and you give it to KD and you go one-on-one. And it worked for a couple of games because Devin Booker was out of his mind. But it's like at some point he's not going to average 45 on 80% shooting. Like, and, yeah. and, and then he had like an off game where he only had like 30 on like 60% shooting. They lost. And so those are the things where you come back in the offseason, whether you change coaches or not, you have to change your roster because I don't care who they get as a coach great one or not, you run that same team back, they're not going to win because these guys are only getting older. KD, as great as he's been, he's showing signs of slowing down. 
and you had to play them like 45 minutes every single game just to have a chance of winning, not win with ease. You're like barely in the game, and then it's like, okay, do some Devin Booker or KD heroics, and we'll win. Like I remember watching the game. Actually, I was out here downtown watching the game when Book went off for like 47 or whatever it was, and KD had 39, and I was thinking they did all of that to win by like you know five or six whatever the case may be like to barely win and obviously barely winning matters I don't you know in the playoffs I don't put too much stock into it because it's like you just got to win who cares you know but I think it was just a bigger synopsis of their team it's like you're not barely winning because you made the right plays you're barely winning because you made heroic plays that don't happen every single game and so um we'll see I think Budenholzer will obviously end up on a staff as well because he has a lot of pedigree and Giannis gave him a shout out on Instagram talking about how much he appreciated him and obviously when you win a championship you should get I think another shot to do this because obviously you can do it but um changes are usually going to come and it's like like that in every professional league it's just what it is coaches always get most of the blame never get much of the credit but um I do think both of them deserve credit for leaving their franchises better than where they found them because what was Milwaukee before they won you know the championship and then what were the Phoenix Suns before Monty Williams kind of helped them get back to the you know upper echelon and really have their first playoff success since the Charles Barkley days we're going to dive more to the NBA playoffs in the one o'clock hour a lot to discuss we were bang on the table last week regarding Jason Tatum in need of a legacy game. I thought it would come game six. It came at the end of game six, albeit not high volume, but he did wind up with 70 points over those last two games. Granted, a large number of that carry came in game seven, so we'll discuss that as well. We'll discuss what has happened out west now that all of a sudden the Lakers, and if you're an NBA executive for some reason that's tuned in today, uh, you're licking your chops at the idea of a Lakers-Celtics matchup in the NBA Finals. So we'll look at all those potential avenues around 1 o'clock. Mark James is going to join us at 1.30. The voice of the NECAR Radio Network, he's going to take us through the GMR Grand Prix and Alex Pelot's win there. Stephen Holder, top of the 2 o'clock hour. We'll get his thoughts on the NFL schedule, how things shape up for the Colts. He had a couple good points on Twitter in regards to what Eddie, myself, and James have been talking about about the strength of schedule. Eddie obviously hammering that home pretty early on throughout this process and what could be avenues for the Colts to have a strong season or at least have a strong season with where their projections are. We'll get into that as well. Before we go any further, I do want to, since we didn't have you in here last week, and I know you were chomping at the bit about it because we were talking about the NFL schedule in the release to it uh, as you're on the beat, as this will be your, your second year in full swing. Your initial takeaways from the hand the Colts were dealt, we knew about the international game already. I was a little bit surprised about the lack of primetime opportunities. We, we can take it at a number of different angles, but first I just want your initial reaction, James, as a, as a guy that's on the beat that's going to be making these treks how do you feel things shaped out for the Colts? Uh, initial thought, I'm sure, is, like JMV said earlier last week, a lot of 1 o'clock starts coming for Indianapolis this fall. Hey, man, I will take it. You don't <laughs> complain about 1 o'clock, 1 o'clock starts. And I think they're only like late game as of right now, and I say late as a joke, is like 425, the Carolina game. But I thought um, the most interesting takeaway, beyond when Anthony Richardson is going to start, is they have like a division-heavy schedule to start. Like they had last year, I believe four of the um, first six games yeah. are our division games, and so that could either be very good for you if you come out hot, or they could be bad for you if you come out and are struggling. And so 
Um, we'll see, you know, how quickly they're able to acclimate to Shane Steichen, potentially Anthony Richardson. But I wasn't surprised with the lack of primetime games just because you didn't earn it from last year. Um, when you were in primetime, there were some bad performances, not just losses, just bad ones. I remember the game in, you know, uh, down in Dallas that didn't turn out very well. The uh, Thursday night barn, you know, it was just barn burner. It was great. 12-9. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Overtime hey, win. That, hey, that team got that, that team got four primetime games. Uh, oh, my goodness. That, that, that lost that game, by the way. And so, and I think, I, I do think this, though. Had they come out, and no team would do this when they draft a rookie, it's a bad look. But if they had come out and said Anthony Richardson is going to start for us the entire season, then I do think that they the NFL would have done something to squeeze him in just so everyone who has an opinion and saying he's Lamar or he's Jamarcus Russell to watch and give their, you know, takes. And so um, we'll see if they get flexed into a game later in the season. I don't think so because um, at that point it's like what would you be – at that point I think flex games are more geared towards people who are more into like the playoff picture, playoff yeah. developments, those types of matches. Like if this team wins – this other team's going to lose. They're going to be out. Those types of scenarios. So, um, not surprised by it. Not really disappointed by it. I think that, if anything, for uh, it, it might hurt Colts fans who are not in the Indy area from being able to watch them. But for those here, it's like, take your kids to a game, get them in bed early, go to school tomorrow. So, um, life is good in that the department. <laughs> we mentioned the primetime games and the lack thereof. There's two avenues to get in. I agree with you. They come out and said, yeah, Anthony Richardson's going to be the starter right after they drafted him. The Carolina game is very enticing, right? That's on the road in Carolina. It's a potential Frank Reich revenge game. It's Bryce Young versus Anthony Richardson in, in this hypothetical where they would have done that. And yeah, maybe that's a, a bone they get thrown in primetime. Otherwise, if you're not a team that made the playoffs the year before, or if you're not a team with a real compelling handful of storylines or angles that would draw eyeballs more than the NFL already draws on a, on a normal one o'clock, which they do all the time is you need the analogy that I used last week was it's like when you're trying to get in the club and the bouncer is holding (laughs) you back, but a buddy of yours, somebody, you know, has those ties, knows people has the connect. You need somebody to get you in, right? Well, there were a handful of matchups for the Colts where that could have happened. The Bengals are one perhaps where they just made the AFC Championship game. They made the Super Bowl the year before that. They're a high-powered team. Maybe the Jaguars would have carried you into the club of prime time because they, again, made it to the divisional round last year, have Trevor Lawrence, an ascending star in this league. The Browns, perhaps, if Deshaun Watson is able to get back to his high-level form that he mm-hmm. was that year that the Texans uh, made it all the way to the divisional round. So there's only a handful of those, <laughs> of yeah, those I mean, friends that could have gotten you into prime time and... With the Jaguars being the first, the Jaguars series being done by week six, that limits you to maybe one, maybe two options where that could have happened. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that if you're not going to get the Jacksonville game and they're kind of like the new kid on the block, the dark horse to make some noise in the AFC, if you can't get that, you're probably not going to get it. And also, even the Lamar Jackson-Baltimore game, because of the ties over the summer, the Colts were the only team that came out and said that they weren't against actually pursuing him. Now, I believed all along that it was going to be a long shot, but they at least didn't shut the door on it. And can you imagine how many – it's going to happen anyways during the, the 1 o'clock start. How many, oh, if Anthony Richardson can become this guy, conversations that are going to go on during that game, 
because that's what you drafted Anthony Richardson to hopefully become or better one day is that guy you'll see on the other side. And so um, if he starts week one and he started obviously both those games in the lead up to the Baltimore game, you can already see the graphics in your head. It's going to show Lamar Jackson through his first two games as a starter compared to Anthony. Yeah, you're exactly right. They they make themselves at that point. Hey, I'm not going to lie. I will be uh, I'll be writing that story (laughs) if that happened just because I know. Two names will get me clicks. <laughs> Lamar Jackson and Anthony Richardson. Um, you don't do it solely for that, but I'd right. be lying if I said our business isn't about driving people to our website or to our stories. And so I would obviously flesh it out and make you know a legit argument. I never try to you know, uh, give you all clickbait like articles. Like if the headline is something that makes you click on it, cool, but I give you like real analysis. But again, I think that's something that's going to be um, discussed, whether it was – one o'clock prime time, but again, I thought that might have been an option. But if you look at the other t- teams and other games on the schedule week to week, you understand why the NFL went in a different direction because you want to see superstars right now. And if you can get two of them as opposed to one, and then maybe one who's on his way, that's better. You want the, the sure thing. I know we're not giving away primetime games for free. I, I get that. But and may, maybe it's the Chiefs fan in me that just looks at the Broncos and scoffs like I, I'm always going to do that. It's going to be my, my <laughs> DNA. But we uh, that's been my biggest point. And look at them. What's happening over there? I get it. I understand people still want to make the argument that Russell Wilson is an elite QB. And again, maybe he will. Maybe there won't be TikToks made this year about if he's thrown more touchdowns than he has bathrooms in his home. Perhaps oh that'll happen. Goodness. I don't know. Maybe Sean Payton is able to revitalize and retransform both the offense and defense in Denver to make them into a legitimate threat in the AFC West and in the AFC as a whole. But you're banking on those potentially happening when you dish out four prime time games to a team that won five games last year, that was a part of that nightmare on Thursday night football, uh, the 12, nine final the Colts ended up winning. And again, I know this is the way the NFL is always driven. They want to be able to give their their top markets or their top brands as many games as they can. You can look at anybody in the NFC East, even though they or yeah, in the NFC East, even though they've earned it last year, right? They were all within the playoff conversation for a very long time. Years past, though, they were just given bones because I get it. It's the Cowboys, the Giants, it's the Eagles, it's the Commanders. I understand, but there's enough where if you wanted to give even a situational primetime game later in the season to the Colts, you could. I guess you're right. The real flex path to me is if the Colts are in a wild card conversation. And I, I get it. Yeah, that's no. it. That's insane to me saying it because I don't see it. Like even as as the schedule being the fourth softest in terms of strength of schedule around the league, I get it. I understand you could tempt yourself with a pathway. It's unlikely. But if they were by week 14 in that conversation and the Bengals are very much either in a fight in the AFC North or they're fighting for the one seed, maybe that's a game that gets flexed. Like there's a couple avenues there, but this whole notion that there were teams that got primetime games that totally deserve the amount they got, I just don't buy into because I look at Denver and I'm like, well, did they really earn it? Like I know Sean Payton's a big name, a Super Bowl winning head coach. I know Russell Wilson's won a Super Bowl, but like you're banking on hypotheticals just like you would have if you're trying to map out when Anthony Richardson is going to start. Exactly. And I think it's also just money, name recognition. Yeah. People, the casual fans know Russell Wilson a lot more than they know Anthony Richardson. For sure. And that's just how it is. And then you also want to see, can he possibly bounce back because he looked like a shell of himself last season in Denver? And so those are always factors that go into deciding the schedule. But I think overall, the NFL, 
they have people who get paid a lot more than me to look at these things and really analyze how much they can maximize monetarily, also with the exposure of the game. And so these are things that aren't just made um, to, as some fans might look at it, as like to just spite you or just do this because they don't like you. No, they're doing this because they want to make a lot of money. And so um, that's the bottom line. Whenever I like think too deeply about something, I'm like, wait a second. Green. Green is the ultimate winner in this league. And so I'm excited about it, though. I think it's cool to roll the, you know, um, schedules out there. Tennessee Titans had a hilarious video. Man on the street type of vibe. And it was it was really fun. I think those things are cool. See, I didn't think theirs was that funny. Like after well, you fourth, always got one hater listeners out there. Yeah, like, Eddie's that one. Like, hater. like after the fourth or fifth one, I'm like, okay, come on, I get it. It just felt scripted to me. Like, I, I see. Don't know. I look. I I I did enjoy it, but I get where Eddie's coming from because you see it primarily on late night TV. Like like Jimmy Kimmel does it all the time. Oh, yeah. Fallon's done it before, and, and that is an effect that happens. Like after the third one, you're like, well, I mean. Are we setting these people well, up, or are they really no, no, no. have no for, clue? They probably walked around forever. Sure, I mean, yeah, there's a lot and, of and you just cut out all the yeah. real answers, sure. and, and, and you see what I'm saying. And yeah. it doesn't help when you're on, you know, you're down there on a on a nice street <laughs> where you know some beverages might be flowing, and the, the yeah. ideas might not be as uh, you know. Brain don't work so good, exactly. Yeah. But seriously, I mean, it, I guarantee you they clipped out every single person that had actual right, right answers. So I get where you're coming from, Eddie. But honestly, the engagement on the video was crazy to me. I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. But um, I thought it was cool. Even the Colts had their own thing with Grove and Buck, you know, eating their way through the schedule, which was a feat in and of itself. <laughs> and um, I thought Grove had the upper hand on Buck with some of the, the, the taste testing and smells and things like that. He's also a little bit of a chef, so I'll give him, give him some love there. But um, it was cool. I thought it was fun. Um, I know people who complain about it and like it's like, wow, why, why do I have to make everything a big deal? And it's like, have fun. It, it, it's football. It's, it's a schedule. Like, why not? I yeah. mean, and in, in fairness, as soon as, what was it, 8.30 hit the other night, the schedule was posted like as a list right away. So you didn't have to like sit through a nine-minute video to figure out, you know, where the Colts are going to play in week 13 or something like that. So for me, as a writer, I had to write some stuff about it. I had some pre-written stuff ready to go, and as soon as the list came out, I did not watch that video until I was after done. After I was done like working, and then I went back and watched it. Did so. you see the Jags? Did I you, did. Jimmy? Mm-hmm. I did not see the Jags. No. So they, you did. Yeah, I, I checked. It I out. thought that was good. Yeah, I thought it was clever. Yeah, I thought it was. So I mean, every team has their flavor, and I do think it also speaks to how much you put into social media now. Like these were not things I would even say maybe ten years ago. Now it's right. like everything you do. You want to be able to clip it up, put it on TikTok, and go viral. Seriously, I know people don't want to hear about that. <laughs> and it's like, well, who cares about those? Th- Man, that's a big market for the NFL and to gain more younger NFL fans. So um, I'm excited about it. I think it's fun. Um, I'll be going to Germany for the first time in my life. Yeah, I was going to ask you. The obvious so, answer is what's your favorite what destination first, yeah. <laughs> or game you're excited about? And then I remembered, oh, yeah, it's got to be Germany. So Got to be. I, I mean... <laughs> You know, Baltimore, Cincinnati, nice. Haven't been there before, but Germany for sure. Wasn't sure I was going to be able to go. Got the green light this morning, so I'm excited to do that. And uh, yeah, it'll be my first time really going overseas. I went to Toronto. Did you have a passport already? Yeah, I had had my passport. For Toronto. Yeah, exactly, for Toronto. But, you know, that wasn't really, it's like, you can like drive to Toronto. (laughs) Seriously, you could drive (laughs) up there. You cannot drive to Germany, so it'll be uh, fun to do that. I think I'm going to leave like that Thursday or that Friday, actually, instead of like a usual Saturday, because there's no way I can like fly on a Saturday and get there on a Sunday. I mean, get there uh, whenever and then wake up and just, I'll be so jet lagged. So I'll try to get there a day before 
and like get my sleep calibrations right and get ready for the game. And so um, I'm excited for that. You know, even we talked to Bernard Ryman last week. He was very excited about it. Sam's going to see him play. The majority of his family, that is, for the first time in seven or eight years. And so you look at a guy like him who's come this far and has to do it so far from home, those moments kind of remind you of what it means to these athletes to have their families watch them play. And so I'm excited for him. He looks like he's going to be, you know, uh, the guy on the offensive line at left tackle. Obviously, there's going to be some competition there, but – Gained some weight, said he's gotten better over the summer, and I do love his accountability. Like, he never makes any excuses. And so if he can get out there and start a left tackle in front of his family, possibly get a win, that would be uh, pretty cool. You know, it's crazy to think that they haven't seen him play since he was probably like a buck seventy, and now he's right. 150 <laughs> yeah. pounds heavier probably. Eddie, he was telling us his family hasn't seen him play, like outside of his dad and like watching online in person. They haven't seen him since he was like – you know, playing for his, like, hometown team, and he was, like, on offense back then. Mm-hmm. He was wide receiver. Exactly. And he's like, yeah, man, you know, I caught a touchdown last time I saw him. Make sure you get that in there. And I was like, all right. You know, I think Joel Erickson from Indy Star made the joke saying, like, yeah, we got to get uh, we got to get Shane Steichen to write some plays up for you, you know, at the goal line and get you a, a big man TD. So, um, again, that's very exciting for them. I think he said it's, like, a seven, eight-hour drive. And so he's talking about his grandma. He's like, I don't know if she wants to fly. And I'm like, my grandma never wants to fly. So either way, if his grandma can get there, that's exciting. Marcel Dabo is also from Germany on the, on the Colts as well. So um, you realize just how you know global this game is beyond just being, quote, unquote, American football. There's guys all, the, all over the world chasing this dream. And um, that week, I'm sure two of them at least will be able to live that dream. A lot to unpack between now and November 12th in the storyline department. Plenty of them already there, as James and Eddie mentioned. We're going to take a quick break here on the Fan Midday Show. When we return, a former Colts quarterback in the news will discuss what it all means on the other side here on the Fan Midday Show. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Jimmy Cook and James Boyd, Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos on the Fan Midday Show, was announced earlier today by a post on social media from Matt Ryan, former Colts quarterback, that he decided to head to the studios, CBS Sports Studios, that is. He'll be an analyst on the NFL on CBS family this fall, also stressed in that tweet. This is a direct quote from said tweet. <laughs> P.S. This is not a retirement post with a little winky face there by Matt Ryan. Of course, being somewhat tongue-in-cheek in that regard is Matt because, uh, you know, just a small amount of $12 million still on the table for him in terms of uh, where things were at when the Colts let him go back in March. And the thought is that potentially retirement could impact that if he was to formally announce his retirement, even though... Jim Irsay has a track record of still giving money to quarterbacks even when they uh, hang it up. Uh, insert you-know-who here. Let's start first with the thought that he's going into a TV role now in May and making this announcement. Because we talked about it a little bit during the break. You would think if his desire is really to play, and maybe this did happen, this is the perfect time to have your agent on the phone. I'm sure they have been in the past couple weeks feeling around where the NFL's at and is there a spot for Matt somewhere, even if it's not a starting spot? And assuming he'd be okay with that, 
where is it? Where's the avenue for him? Would you assume those conversations probably already took place? I think so. I do think that he was pretty adamant last season when it ended about not retiring and still feeling like he had something left in the tank. But what our eyes showed us is like, man, he did not look like Matt Ryan. Um, He really tapered off. A lot of that had to do with the protection issues. But, I mean, even when he was protected, the arm strength really kind of waned. And it really waned after the the shoulder injury. And so I don't think he's a starter anywhere. But I do think – He's respected enough that someone would basically say you can hold a clipboard for us uh, and even be our QB3 or somebody who just maybe doesn't dress on game days or whatever and just helps some new guy along. Now, does he want to do that or just does he want to play? That's the question, and I don't think he's going to be handed the keys to play anywhere. But as far as the retirement goes, Jimmy, um, he was never going to do that. This, uh, <laughs> this is a nice way to get the money, you know, which he earned. I mean, he signed the contract. This is his money. Don't got to give it back. And so I think this is just the first step to retirement. He just can't come out and officially say he's going to retire because then you have to give up the money. But I don't see how he commits to this right now. Assuming he does this, I mean, what are you going to do, take a year off and then come back next year? I mean, you're 37, 38. And so I think this is the beginning stages of retirement. But again, because of the money still being on the table, you don't want to give that back. No one would. And you don't owe the Colts anything like they agreed to pay you. You get your money, and not, you're not getting all of it anyway. Like I think it was 18 million or whatever you're supposed to get. Right. Yep. Um, and so they it got cut down to 12 because of the you know guarantees and the cuts and stuff like that. So um, I do think that he'll be a pretty good presence in the booth. I thought he was pretty good last year when he stepped in after season ended, but um, he's very knowledgeable. It just comes down to. You know, TV's a little bit more of personality and things like that. Like, how much personality do you have along with your knowledge? But I do think he's going to be pretty good um, in, in the studio. Well, if you're wanting to make that pivot into life after professional sports and you're wanting to get behind a microphone or in front of a camera, it's imperative to strike while the iron's hot as quickly as you can. Not to yep. say that you don't have players two or three years after the fact being able to pick up one of those jobs, but you want to be able to attack it and get a hold of one so that you're not forgotten about. And it's not to say that maybe Matt Ryan would instantly be forgot about in a year or two years time. He had a very, very successful career in the NFL, won an MVP, made it all the way to a Super Bowl. But if that is his desire, which obviously it has to be in some regard, otherwise you wouldn't take the job, even though the money is really good in TV, (laughs) you still have to be at least somewhat intrigued by that role. That's the right path for him. That's the right path for, for any former player. You've seen it even for somebody who didn't have the professional career that they wanted to i mean look at rg3 look at robert griffin the third i mean his pivot entirely to a, a valuable role through espn's nfl programming and and and, and a, a mainstay now up there with again it's jarring by comparison for on-field accomplishments but steve young and rg3 frequently sharing you know the the same broadcast table during that and it just speaks to if you have personality but you also have those type of experiences in the nfl you can bring something to the table. Both of them, even though different career arcs, RG3 and Matt Ryan, achieve their dreams of making it, and they have good insight and perspective to be able to provide to an audience. Doing it now, the only reason it maybe surprises me is it felt like in all the buildup to him coming here last year, he still did want to do this for a couple more years. He didn't want this to be a one-off but as you mentioned, perhaps it was how everything went so far south so quickly that he wanted to get out while the getting was good, so to speak. Yeah, I think that. And also, 
not to be rude, I mean, I watched it. I was like, this is not an NFL starting quarterback yeah. anymore. Um, he's immobile, and the arm talent just isn't there anymore. Like, he never really had the strongest arm anyways, but he can make every throw, like, in his prime. But, I mean, the, the Colts looked so bad whenever they tried to push the ball downfield last year. And for that alone, like, whatever quarterback they start this week, coming up week one, whether it's – and I say coming up like it's next week, I'm sorry. I mean, months from now. Sure. <laughs> you know, whether it's Gardner Minshew, Anthony Richardson – just the arm talent will be able to change the offense from just pushing the ball down the field because they really struggled to do that. And a lot of that had to do with not being able to just throw it that far. And so um, I'm sure he's healthier now and still loves the game, still very competitive. And I think someone like him, when you've been as great as he was for as long as he was, it's maybe harder to let go because it's like, I can still be that guy again. But to me, that guy, even the starting Matt Ryan is probably gone and again, this isn't a bad alternative. You had a great, great career, something you should be proud of, and then now you get a chance to dissect the next wave of you know quarterbacks coming through the league. I'm with you, though. I liked what he did during the end of the season last year. Like I thought he showed promise. I get why CBS would want to try to scoop him up, mm-hmm. but it, it is a personality game, and you would speak to it better than, than most of us in this room because you were there, you had interactions with him throughout last season. There, there is times where he comes off a little bit dry, but mm-hmm. uh, of course he's going to be around people. That There's plenty of highly talented analysts within CBS's entire roster mm-hmm. that there's going to be people we can you know pick their brains like, hey, how am I doing? How do I improve? Where do I go? And that could be a jarring transition for a lot of professional athletes to be able to not be afraid to go ask for help if you need it. Yeah, and I do think you make a great point, Jimmy, that he cares about it. Like, I don't think Matt Ryan would do anything professionally if he didn't care about it and want to be really good at it. So I do think that he's going to ask a lot of questions. He's going to dedicate his time. He's going to do his research to be the best version of the NFL analyst that he can be and so I'm excited for him I'm excited to see it just because I like to see the players I've covered maybe let their hair down so to speak because he was very uptight as the quarterback of NFL team and usually you have to be I mean not that I do this but everything you say is going to be clipped up and made a thing and so I thought that he was very smart in what he said to never make his words a thing like you could never take a Matt Ryan quote and spin it for a week and even when things got rough even when he got benched which really showed me I was like this guy's for real as far as character goes he faced the music like he didn't have to talk to us after Sam Ellinger got the job over him I believe in like week six or whatever it was he did not have to talk to us but he knew that that was going to be a story so I respected the fact that he was like okay I'm going to tell it my way, my version, and show you all my character. And so um, I'm sure conversations went different at home. But um, he's very, very, very reserved and, like, tactical. And maybe it'll be better when he is in a space where he can just speak his mind freely and there isn't, like, this backlash and, oh, what did, what did you do? Did that affect the team? It doesn't matter now because now you're just – trying to share information with the public, with listeners, with viewers um, who may not just know the game as much as you do. And we mentioned earlier the amount of power the NBA players have to kind of bring both those worlds full circle. Matt Ryan could have gone the route of of Dylan Brooks or Devin Booker. He could have refused post-game opportunities or refused exit interviews. But yeah, I mean, and and again, that's I I say that half-jokingly because, you know, Matt Ryan would probably never do that. And you probably wouldn't see that 
across the board in the National Football League. There's always say, some like, microphone or some media opportunity yeah. and obligation there where it's just not tolerated in the NFL. Yeah, and just to point out, I believe the Bucks didn't do any exit interviews. The Clippers didn't do any exit interviews. And that's like unheard of in the NFL. Like I could not imagine going through an entire season and you don't talk to the quarterback of your team after it's over. Like the team recovering. That would be pretty insane. So as much as I love the NBA, they can keep that over there. Because, I mean, you cover the Bucks the entire season. I remember the reporter, uh, actually for the Athletic, Eric Nam or Neem, I'm sorry, um, he got so much backlash for the question he asked Giannis, but it's like, good. You asked it then because if you waited for a different time, maybe not in front of the cameras or not in front of you know, a bunch of reporters and things like that, you wouldn't have gotten it because they didn't have any exit interviews. And so I'm not going on a tangent here, but I mean, that's a big thing. I'm very glad that, you know, that is not a thing. And Matt Ryan stood there, faced the music and owned pretty much all of it. And I thought that he even owned it to a fault where it was like, okay, you won't say it, but I will when I write. Like, I'm going to say this isn't all your fault. Like, he, he owned so much of it. But a lot of that had to do with, you know, coaching changes, Jim Irsay, some of his decision making. And so, um, Again, maybe we'll get uh, Matt Ryan his real take on the season when he's in there. I'm sure they're going to ask him about it, but he won't say, especially if it's like a Colts analysis. I just don't think he's going to jump in there and be like, hey, this is what I really feel about Jim Irsay and him doing this. Like, no. <laughs> no, no, no. you got to remember he's getting paid by the Colts to be an analyst here. Exactly. Now. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to, you know, wait till the check clears and then you go scorched earth. No, I'm joking. I think that even beyond that, he's just not that type. Like, he wouldn't do that. I think he would really try to not do the whole gotcha quotes or criticize players and all that without actually having like analysis to go with. So that's what I'm excited about because he is very knowledgeable. And for me as a reporter, as a fan of the game, the guys I tend to gravitate towards, whether it's football, basketball, whatever, are the ones who are trying to teach me something. You know what I mean? Rather than just tell me this guy's better than this guy or this era is better than this era. And it's also different in the Matt Ryan brief, very brief era here in Indianapolis, because unlike some athletes who maybe there's a large, you know, chip on your shoulder from how South things went that you want to air your grievances. Mm -hmm. Most of it, I understand that Jim Mercy obviously intervened. I understand that it was a, a, a wild tenure down the stretch, which you have Saturday there, but most of it was Matt Ryan didn't perform even though, again, you have yeah. to include the fact that the offensive line let him down a ton, and we've been very critical, you know, as is everybody, since the season ended on what the offensive line was and what they need to be by week one this year. But a lot of that, like you mentioned, was if I'm in that wide receiver room, man, I feel like a, a massive year from a monetary standpoint could have been displayed for my on-the-field success. Mm-hmm had I had a better quarterback under center or had the quarterback that I was promised was going to rise to the occasion been that type of guy I was told he was going to be. Yeah, he, he struggled a lot. And again, I thought it was very fair to move on from him. I don't think that, you know, what he was being paid is what you can pay a backup quarterback in the NFL. Um, and he had a great run. Again, you you had a career that many would look at and say as a success. Again, you didn't win at all, but there's a lot of great quarterbacks who haven't. It's very hard to do that. And so I think that the biggest thing for Matt Ryan is to make sure that he's healthy if he is done, going to come back and play football and um, not give up that check. 
I would never do that. Like, as much as I love <laughs> you, you <and> me both. <laughs> the team and my teammates, and nah, you got to think of yourself at some point. And I had a couple fans who were asking me constantly, like, he's going to retire. He's going to do us a solid. Do us a solid. He's probably thinking, like, you guys almost got me killed last year, you know, behind that offensive <laughs> line. And so the thing that really stood out to me, though, jokes aside, even when the offensive line was poor, was that he really started, like, not stepping into throws and stuff because he was just afraid to get hit. And it's like when you're worried about, you know, getting hit and you're seeing ghosts out there, because there were a couple of throws, I remember in the Denver game especially, it was like, man, like there wasn't any pressure. You just kind of panicked because you thought, you know, this leaky offensive line wasn't going to work, you know, this time. And so if you can move on from that as a player and then, you know, in his regard, going on to the CBS side and possibly the new team and then the Colts are going in a new direction, obviously with the new quarterback, a young guy, I'm all for it. I just thought that that ran its course. It was a nice, um, I guess, swing. You tried to do something big, but it didn't work out. And, and now I think that, again, better, both are better off because of it. I want to go back to the Colts when we return and, and go back to what James just mentioned there about the offensive line because we talk about bad habits forming. Well, they can happen in a veteran quarterback, just like we saw with Matt Ryan in mm-hmm. that, that Denver game, panicking when pressure wasn't there yet and a lack of trust in the offensive line, how important that's going to be regardless of if it's Gardner Minshew or Anthony Richardson under center. We'll discuss that. So NBA playoff talk at the top of the hour mixed in as well with a big night potentially for the Pacers tomorrow night in the NBA draft lottery. More to come on the Fan Midday Show, 935-1075 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jimmy Cook and James Boyd in the DriveHuber.com studios on the Fan Midday Show with Eddie Garrison. We're talking a little bit about Matt Ryan heading to CBS this fall, not in a new drama. That would be fun, though, to be able to see Matt Ryan show his acting chops off. But no, he's going to be on the NFL on CBS as a game analyst and studio analyst throughout the 2023 campaign. Joking on social media, that's not a retirement announcement for him. Again, $12 million still at stake for Matt Ryan as the Colts let him go in March and the agreements there with letting him go. But we talked a little bit about where things went south with Matt Ryan, and there were a number of avenues that they did go south by the end of it whether it was injuries, whether it was the lack of arm strength from him down the stretch, whether it was the offensive line, which is the key component moving forward into 2023. And is the storyline that, again, I, I joked about it all the time as a kid, like, oh, the offensive linemen, they never get talked about. And they, they don't, right? Because they do all the dirty work uh, either side of the ball. More so now, I guess, is you have superstars like like Aaron Donald, like Chris Jones. There's been, there's been uh, you know, defensive players forever in the trenches that you take down a quarterback, have a game-changing fumble, you'll get your name recognition. But offensive line doesn't happen very often. But for Matt Ryan... It was what was sold to him as this is going to protect you well, yeah. way better than Atlanta did, and you're going to thrive. Didn't happen. And even for a quarterback as seasoned as Matt Ryan, bad habits started to form or reform where he didn't trust who was protecting him. Right. When you look at where things are at right now, a lot of, I know, steps between now and week one where you're going to observe and see, okay, is this offensive line really different than they were a year ago? You cannot afford, whether it's Minshew and especially whether or not it's Anthony Richardson, to have a lack of trust amongst those in the trenches and those under center from Jump Street. You just can't have it. No, I think that's the biggest thing for me in deciding if he starts right away is can you protect him? 
can you understand his checks and his you know uh, protections and things that he has to do to make sure he doesn't get blasted, quite frankly. Now, I know the rookies are able to return to the building today to continue their work with the team, so he's going to be locked into the playbook and to all those things that will make him more prepared as the days go by. And so I think this is a very crucial time for him and the team because before you get to you know more on-field activities and things like that, you want to make sure that he's learning – as much as he can and even if it means you're streaming some of the playbook a little bit as long as he's able to get those protections down that's the biggest thing make sure the guy knows who he has to you know talk to or making sure that him and Ryan Kelly are on the same page so when he does get in that game action he's not running for his life and then obviously some of that might have to do with do you go out and upgrade and if so where on your offensive line I think that it's Goes without saying that Quentin Nelson will be there, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith. You paid those guys; they'll be there. You paid them big, you know, big money. And so, you know, Bernard Ryman said he's gotten better over the summer, and you know that's been echoed by the rest of the team and staff. And so, you expect him to take another leap forward. How big of a leap? I don't know, but you don't want to just give him the job with no competition either. And then, right guard, like I've been saying for uh, weeks now, you got to look at possibly upgrading that spot and. I don't know if uh, Emo Ekior is, is going to be um, the guy. You know, he's a cathedral guy, so I'm sure a lot of uh, Colts fans and Indy area fans would love to see him make that leap, but I will remind them he was undrafted. So it would be a, a massive, massive ask and a huge jump to go from there all the way to a starting position on the offensive line. And you're tasked with, you know, uh, protecting the guy that is the franchise now. So that's a lot of pressure in that too. So um, we'll see, but... Again, I don't care if you throw interceptions, if you throw high or whatever. It's can you stay healthy enough to stay on the field? Obviously, you want to get better. You don't want to just keep throwing to the other team. But, you know, you deal with that more than him just getting sacked over and over and over again. I've been a big advocate for this. And I think I think it was overblown a lot last year on the offensive line front because I think the inability for them to really move the pocket for the quarterback, whether that was Foles or Matt Ryan or Sam Ellinger last year, that it really hindered that offensive line and made them look worse than what they actually are. So I could see them totally being like a middle of the of the league, like in that 15 range again, because you have a mobile quarterback, hopefully, and Anthony Richardson starting. Plus, they have to account for his legs now, so they can't really just go straight after the quarterback. They have to try and contain him and keep him in the pocket. So I think there's going to be some improvements along that line, and I think that's a big reason why they struggled last year. Yeah, I remember being in New Jersey, not New York, because the Giants and the Jets are frauds and they <laughs> like why don't you play in New York? This makes no sense. Buffalo is the only real New York football team. There's my rant for this Monday morning. But I remember being there at uh MetLife and thinking to myself, wow, the Colts are looking at the future with Daniel Jones. And I'm not saying Daniel Jones is a great quarterback or someone you think is going to lead you to a Super Bowl, but he looked so good that day simply because he could run. And so I was thinking to myself, wow, this team that I'm covering is stuck in the past, and this is what they need to get to as far as the future goes. And Eddie makes a great point. Obviously, Anthony Richardson will give you an extra layer of protection, so to speak, because he can avoid certain things. But again, you don't want him to get to the point, to your point, um, Jimmy, where he's bailing or he's panicking or he's developing habits because he doesn't trust his offensive line. Like, your legs can do a lot for you, but you don't want him to do everything for you to a fault, where even if you do have good protection, you're bailing out, you're running, or you're 
taking your eyes down. You're not looking downfield because you're worried about what's going on, you know, around you in the pocket. So, yeah, just got to be average in my opinion. Just can't be as bad as last year. Be average and he'll be out there. There's a difference between deciding to take off and run because you've made all your progressions and you know that, okay, they've done their job to protect me to this point in time, but nothing's here. I need to go take off and run versus going through early progressions. I don't trust these guys. They've let me (laughs) get sacked four or five times the last two games. I'm going to take off and run and break that trust that you have to be able to rely on them because you're going to need to at some point in time, whether it is very, very first start or whether it is simulating down the line of him wanting to get valuable repetition. And that's half of the battle with him, right? Only the 13 starts, the the overall just pass attempts are going to continue to be dissected until he eventually gets on the field. But when you have a player that appears to be able to do it all, you want it to be a true choice, not an action of distrust from the offensive line to the quarterback position. James Boyd, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison here on the Fan Midday Show. When we return, we will get James' thoughts on not just the NFL schedule like we talked about earlier, but if it's not week one, where might be the best place to drop Anthony Richardson into the starting lineup for the Colts? We discussed that a little bit last week. Got our perspective. Mine and Eddie's, of course, will get James as well. And then a look at the NBA playoffs. We had a legacy game. Does it change anything with where these NBA Conference Finals might take us in the road to the Larry O'Brien Trophy. Fan Midday Show returns on the other side. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. You're from the DriveHuber.com studios with James Boyd. I am Jimmy Cook. Last week, we had all kinds of trivia. The questions will be back all week long, but this time, the prize pack is not Carb Day, and it's not Qualls. It's the whole kit and caboodle. That's right. It's a pair of tickets to the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500, Sunday, May 28th at IMS. And I'm not ashamed to admit my struggles in terms of finding high-quality, high-level trivia questions. But we're not going to give it away. But let's just say James Boyd has supplied the trivia question today. And he's already, as Eddie eloquently put it, come up with better trivia questions than I have. (laughs) And we've been doing trivia for the last two weeks. So I tip the cap. I, I bend the knee, so to speak. Uh, to you out of the shoot coming out of there with a, with a high-level trivia question. Look, That's man. at 145, by the way. Give us a call then, 317-239-1070, right after our conversation with Mark Jaynes. Look, the internet is an amazing place. You can find a lot of things <laughs> on the internet. I know this is a college student. I didn't always think for myself, so <laughs> Google came through clutch, very very clutch today, so I'm excited about that. Easy-ish question but I think it's something just tough enough to make it a good trivia. It's a Monday. Got to start off easy and yeah. as we get later in the week. Okay, now I feel like we're giving some cushions there because I've had some Monday easy questions. And but the yours will come on not... like Thursday and Friday. <laughs> right, right, that's fair. That's fair. So we'll have that for you again. 145, give us a call. 317-239-1070. And we'll have trivia with a pair of tickets to the 107th running at Indy 500 on the line. 
That'll be after our conversation again with Mark James, who will recap the GMR Grand Prix. That's all Alex Below take the checkered flag in, in a dominating fashion throughout that race. We'll dive into that with Mark coming up at the bottom of this hour. But we promised you some Anthony Richardson start talk. We promised you some NBA playoffs. We'll start with the NBA and leave the the good stuff of the reckless speculation with Anthony Richardson on the second half of this segment. Because anytime you have all the big varying holidays, right, whether it's around Father's Day with the NBA Finals at play, or whether it's Mother's Day where you're getting very close to the really pinnacle those last two series before a champion is crowned which by the way shout out to all the moms out there that celebrated mother's day yesterday i love that across the sports world you're able to see some flashes of that whether it's giveaways whether it's you know the the pink hats on display at times in some of the mlb parks around so you're obviously having those festivities celebrating mom yesterday but also it's natural at least i'll speak to this as the sports fan i can't help it, but at least try to get the TV on at some point, see what's going on. And of course, we had a game seven yesterday between the Philadelphia 76ers and the Boston Celtics, two teams that had varying levels of, are you going to take this series or are you going to actually give it away over the course of seven games? Mm -hmm. We mentioned it last week. I wanted a legacy game from Jason Tatum in game six. I needed him to rise to the occasion. I needed 35 plus points, maybe even go for 40 didn't happen that way, but he did pretty much carry the load in the fourth quarter to force a Game 7. And then yesterday, he broke that timeless, never-to-be-broken record that was just set a couple of weeks ago by Steph Curry. Gets 51 points in Game 7. That was tied at halftime. It was tied! And Boston said, yeah, no, we're good. We're going to let Jason Tatum carry us to the next round. Your takeaways from the series as a whole, and is the chatter done from Tatum because there were a lot of detractors at times myself included even though I wasn't as negative as most I just wanted to see him do it and he absolutely did it yesterday yeah I don't think that the detractors or the chatter is over at all honestly I think that he's got a lot of it off of his back right now he deserves a ton of credit you can't score 51 in a game seven and not be looked at as one of the best basketball players in the world however I think he has to do this like in the finals. He, like not saying 50, but you got to show up in the finals. And even if you don't win it, you got to show up more than you did last year. I thought, you know, he had some big performances last year. He had the 46-point game or whatever it was last year. They were down 3-2 to the Bucks to get him to a game seven and eventually win it and goes on to the finals. And I thought that, you know, when he got to the finals, the lights looked too bright. And he honestly – was terrible in the finals last year. I believe there was a stretch there where like Steph Curry was averaging more points or than like his shooting percentage from the field. Was, Steph was like thirty four point something. He was shooting like thirty four point one or it was like thirty four point three for Steph. And I remember thinking like that is a horrible stat to say out loud. And I thought that he got exposed. I thought that it was really showed that there's levels to this and he wasn't at that level. Now, is he there now? I don't know, but I do think that his mental fortitude should be commended because he was awful in like 90 (laughs) percent of game six and then the fourth quarter comes the last few minutes and he just took over and I'm like okay that's Jason Tatum that everyone thinks could be a league MVP and so he was dominant he was fantastic and it carried over to game seven where he just really smashed um you know the Sixers hopes and dreams while the other superstars on their team 
guys who have been league MVPs already, you know, Joel this year and Harden a few years back with Houston, I mean, he outplayed both of them by himself. And I think if you're Boston, you feel really good because you're like, okay, we, we got his confidence is there. We got our guy. We're rolling. You know, we made it through some fire and probably better for it because you went through those experiences. And then for Philly, I think you got to look and see, like, is the process over? Like, have you tried this thing as much as you could? And, and is it just the finish? Did you? Is it just going to fall short of a championship? And for them, they just haven't even been to a conference finals, which is insane to say. And I thought that this year was their best chance, which game six was their best chance, Jimmy. Jason Tatum stunk it up, and you didn't win. You didn't You didn't seize the game. I felt like he seized it because he kept teetering. It's like if he has a stinker like that, you have to be up by 10. You can't be in a back-and-forth contest right. and let the guy go off. So um, I think the process is a joke at this point. I mean, uh, it, it's over with. It was it was really bad to see the league MVP score 15 points in Game 7 and then James Harden score 9. I mean – you're, if, even if you're going to lose, you just can't lose like that. That was embarrassing. Every other team, in some regard, whether it was home or away, every other team when they had an opportunity to really close things out, to really know that, okay, if we go up by double figures and we hold that throughout, they're not going to touch us. Every other team had that happen except Philadelphia. Now, Boston, when they had the opportunity at home, the Lakers were able to do it. Mm-hmm. Against the Warriors, they took care of business, even though Steph did everything he could throughout that first quarter to keep things close. Mm-hmm. That was never really a threat afterwards. Um, obviously, the Nuggets, in their dominance, they were able to do it both on the road and at home throughout that series. So they're an anomaly in that regard, but it speaks to how talented they've been over the course of the entire season, why they were a one seed going in. For the Heat, they were able to take care of business where they needed to. And for Boston... Again, they didn't take care of business the first time. They let Philadelphia gain the upper hand. Philadelphia has an opportunity to close it out at home. And when you look at the other stars in this league, you're exactly right, James. You expect the stars to rise to the occasion, your role players to rise to the occasion, and not let the other team's superstar have, again, what had been him all series, struggles up and down, not shooting in rhythm, you don't let the window be open so that that can happen in the fourth quarter. They did. They're expected to go win again in Boston. And even though they put up a fight, Tatum's now back on that level. But but I, I do agree with you, though. He doesn't have a ring yet. doesn't have a championship to his name. And I'm not as big on that as much as I am mm. if he is interested in silencing detractors or if he wants to make himself be a pivotal figure within this current era of the NBA. There's an opportunity for the taking now to go win a championship yeah. against a team that made fools of you in the bubble three years ago. That's the that's the the other interesting angle is both Denver and Miami, they remember how things went in the bubble and, and it was it was not to the liking they wanted things or or Denver and Boston rather and it was not what they wanted to have happen. They wanted to seize the day and Miami and LA were both better three years ago. Yeah, and to your point, Jimmy, about Jason not having a championship ring. I agree. I don't put too much weight on it. I mean, he's only like 25. Yeah, again, like I'm not I'm not saying he's not a, like he's one of the most talented players yeah. in the NBA right now. I'm not taking anything away from him. I just right. think my biggest criticism of him after last year's finals was that he was never the best player on the floor in that series at all. And I believe it went 6 games, yep. and so for me, I knew Steph was the best player in the series. 
but can you be the best player for at least a game? If he had done that, I think they won the series. He just There was never a stretch where I'm like, wow, this guy is the best player on the court right now. It just never happened. And so until I see that on that stage, it's hard for me to really – Believe because the highs are highs with Jason Tatum, but the lows can be very low where he has those three for 18 or three for 15 games. And so I know I'm being very critical of him, but that's just my own personal take on it. When they are superstars, I hold them to higher degrees. And like sometimes the criticism doesn't seem fair, but it's because you're so great. You made it unfair. Like now I have to like judge you differently. I was like grading on a curve. Like I'm going to judge Marcus Smart as I would judge Jason Tatum because of your roles on the team. And so I'm excited for it. I do think that. Jimmy Butler and the Heat will not lie down. They're the epitome of seizing the moment. They've done it every single time, you know, throughout the playoffs. And really they made a name of doing that throughout the years where if you falter, if you slip, they're going to make you pay for it. And that's what scares me about Boston is like sometimes they can get lackadaisical and they can turn the ball over or they'll be sloppy at the end of games and they'll let one go away. And it's like – these are really valuable games. You can't let games slip away. Now, if you just lose, okay, that's fine. But you can't give it away. Like, I don't think you can give away, like, some of these games they gave away to Philly to the Heat and expect to get out of this series and win it. Like, they trailed twice in that series. They were down after game one and then down after, obviously, game five losing, you know, going down 3-2. So, I think that it's huge that they get off to a good start and hopefully, for their sake, not trail. But um, I think Miami's a very disciplined team. A team that you said obviously they have history with from the bubble, and um, that's not even including the the LeBron years. We talked no. about how how bad blood it was here in Indiana, just as bad during Boston, yes. killing off the end of the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen era, and then also given the forearm shiver. I guess that was when he was in Cleveland, but LeBron's always going to have ties there. You know He's what? Not- in Miami anymore, obviously. But yeah, there's bad blood. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but they've been knocking on the door of the finals yep. basically since Jason Tatum's been in the league. Yep. And so this is their like that that jump to get back there and to finish what they have called unfinished business and um to thrust themselves into that, you know, history over there. I mean that that's that franchise, if any, is is defined by winning. Mm-hmm. So you the whole making it there, they do not care in Boston. No. They want you to win. And that goes for any sports team in Boston. I mean, could you imagine being uh, someone who grew up there as a fan? Like you don't really know what losing is. Every team you cheer for wins, which I'm envious of growing up in Chicago because, goodness gracious, <laughs> it was not like that. And so on the flip side, looking at the, the Western Conference, I think that Denver is much better than they were. Same thing with uh, as far as Boston. I think they're better than what they were when they were facing the Miami Heat. Miami's a little bit weaker, I think, than the last time than the bubble years. And again, I think that's been overstated. Like It's just the same four teams, but they look totally different outside of the superstars. I think that Denver's a lot better this time around. I think Jokic is a lot better. I think that he's the best player arguably in the league. To me, it's still Steph, but he's, I mean, the numbers he put up in that throughout the playoffs so far is unbelievable. And the efficiency is also very scary. Like, he does not miss in the paint. And he also doesn't, like, dunk it. Like, I don't know if you know, like, he just shoots a bunch of floaters. He has, like, the best floater of, like, anybody in the Soft NBA. Touch. Yep. And he's the he's a big man. I'm like, why are you shooting floaters? But he, he never misses. And so I think that they're better equipped for giving the Lakers some go. I think the key for the Lakers is can the role players still step up? I think their bench is probably better than the Denver's bench. And, I'm, and to me, it's like if you can get another – an Austin Reed game, a Rui Hachimura game – you know, to to get you one win or, or another win in the series and your top dogs get you the other two 
um, maybe they get out of it. But I, I'm excited about that series because I think that the best player is on Denver, but perhaps the best team is the Lakers because of the depth of their roster. And to me, the key is Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray is another one who fluctuates. Sometimes he looks like he's you know, the best shooting guard in the world some nights. Like, seriously, like in the bubble, he's putting up 50-point games and he was balling out. And even this series, um, this, this playoff series and, and the run they're on, um, you know, leading up to this series, he's played very well in some games where you're like, man, this guy is really good. And then there's also games where I'm like, he is awful. Like, what am I watching? You can't make a shot. And so I think that Jokic will always be there. He's going to always score and assist and be productive. But Jamal Murray can't have those games like he had against the Suns and other you know teams where he's three for whatever or two for whatever. You can't make any shots because they're going to make you pay for it. So um, that's where I'm like, ah, it's like a toss-up for me. Jokic is so great, but I trust LeBron and AD to maybe be a little more even keel, especially with the way AD's played down the stretch as of late, the Jamal Murray. So we'll see. You talk about best player on the floor. Anthony Davis was the best player on the floor in the bubble. He was. like I'm not saying LeBron was obviously significantly better than he was this year in terms of not dealing with injuries and the struggles haven't been there, but he at times ran circles around Jokic. Again, that's a three years' time, two and a mm-hmm. half years' time since, again, COVID, everything. That was a <laughs> a bubble series that was played in the fall, so it has a little bit of a different <sighs> yeah. element to it, and of course, on a number of different levels. But, I mean, if that that's where everything shifts for me. The role players are going to matter. I agree with you. I think they're deeper as LA, but... If Anthony Davis, he really can't afford to have the ups and downs that have been no. present throughout this run to this no. point. He can't. I mean, Jimmy, if he does not come out and at least he's not going to stop Jokic, but he has to make it hard on him and he has to come back at him. Like you cannot, I get it. Like you're, you go, you want him to have the five blocks and to alter all these shots, but you got to come back and give your team 20 and 10 minimally. I think every game 20 and 10, like you might not be able to put up the, 30 and 20 you had against Memphis because I mean who would against Jokic he's going to grab some of those rebounds himself but you got to be able to go back at him and I think that's what usually is the key for great players is can you make it hard for them and can you make them work on the other end like you can't just let Jokic sit back and do a bunch of nothing um, on defense and and, and conserve his energy you got to be able to go at him get him in foul trouble and vice versa so I'm looking forward to that matchup and I think that there is a lot of uh angst there for Anthony Davis because there's still that narrative of him being injury prone or soft or you know up and down some of that as far as the inconsistencies is his fault because it's like dude what are you doing you got all this talent and sometimes we don't even know where you are and so we'll see I think this is I mean if any series is going to get your attention it's this series against that guy who I believe is the best big man in the game there's storylines galore for Denver it's trying to prove everybody wrong that we deserve to be talked about even though we might not be the flashiest or sexiest team out there we've been the one seed for most of the season Mm -hmm. we deserve the spot we're at we deserve some respect and and they're going to earn that if they go through la and they end up defeating miami or boston like that that will be a crowning achievement Mm -hmm. for denver and you know they will have earned every ounce of praise they get following that for the lakers all of a sudden, a fifth championship for LeBron James back on the table, something that was not in the cards when they started 2-10. and 10. For Miami, Eric Spolster just criticized a ton, I think unfairly so, for, well, it, he's really just a, a standalone guy there that's sitting back, kicking his feet up during the Big Three era. Yeah. And, and is he really a staple? Like you mentioned earlier, coaches that you can set it and forget it that are there for years and years doesn't happen around 
the NBA doesn't happen around the NFL very often. Spoltress has stood the test of time I think in he's Miami. One of those. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, for Boston, much like LA, they both have the most championships in NBA history. It's been for them, which feels like an eternity, 15 years since their last NBA title. And again, I, I don't like being as often in the knee jerk reaction to this is the way things are set in stone. There's no room for gray area. It's either you win or you lose. There, there's so much more conversations to be had. But at the end of the day, legacies will change depending on how these next couple of weeks go. Maybe not for LeBron, but for Anthony Davis, they could. For Jokic, they certainly could. He has the MVP accolades, but he wants to deliver a title to Denver. For Boston, no doubt about that. Tatum is right there in the ranks of Paul Pierce and other greats that have in the Celtics history. I'm not going to name everybody. Kevin McCann, I'm, I'm not going to go through Bill Russell because that's one title. You need more before you're in that realm, right? <laughs> yeah. You do, but that's where he suddenly becomes. He's remembered forever in Boston. And in Miami, Jimmy Butler was a superstar without a home for a really long time. And he's built something that he's proud of, that he loves in Miami. And they were close three years ago to taking out the Lakers and having another shocking upset like they are doing right now as an eight seed. I'll make this argument. I think that out of the superstars or star players that are left playing, Jokic, you know, AD, LeBron, um, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Jimmy Butler, of all of them, I think has the most to gain by winning a championship. I think he has to be looked at in a different light because he hasn't had like the perennial success as some of these other guys as far yeah. as all star selections, all NBA selections. But I think it validates who he is as a player and the jump he's able to make every year in the postseason. If he leads into a championship and wins a finals MVP for a franchise whose finals MVPs are Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, like that puts you in some pretty rarefied air. And so I think that of all players, and also he's aging too, right? Jimmy Butler isn't the youngest guy anymore. He doesn't have, you know, 10 more years to keep playing. But if he can get a championship at this stage of his career, to your point, after being sort of a journeyman, the outcast, the player that was deemed for so long like un, unable to work with other stars, if he can make it work there. He's viewed as a cancer. I mean, yeah. that, that, that was the rep that yeah. was around him, unfairly so. But, like, if he can flip that and show people, like, no, it wasn't a cancer. It was I was willing to win at all costs, and I did it with this group of players who, I mean, we talk about stars. He does have all the supporting cast that are left. His is the weakest. I mean, there were eight seeds, so obviously that makes that kind of makes sense. But if he can get them to the finals and win it with his number two, is Bam out of bio, like I have to look at Jimmy totally different than I have throughout his career because that would be a huge statement towards him, his legacy, and what I think he has to gain again the most out of all these players. You think this is the series where Tyler Hero's absence is felt? Or are we beyond that at this point? I think so. I do think so because I think that Boston is the best defensive team in the league when they're locked in. They have the bodies to throw at Jimmy Butler. And the way to counter that is is more spacing. When you don't have the spacing, it's harder to get into the crevices. It's harder to get your shot off. It's harder to go one-on-one. It's harder to win those battles when you you can throw Jason Tatum at him. You can throw Jalen Brown at him. You can throw Malcolm Brogdon. You can throw Derek White, who I believe is one of the best um, guard defenders in the league. He's a little bit shorter. But, again, they have so many bodies. You got Robert Williams at the rim. Got Al Horford walling up at the rim. Like, these are guys. Marcus Smart, I hadn't even named him. 
reigning defensive player of the year until this past season. So, again, this is a guy who has a very stacked deck against him, but Jimmy's been slaying dragons throughout this uh, postseason, but I don't think it's going to happen this time. I think that Boston is just too talented to let that happen. But, again, if Jimmy is able to pull this off, oh, I got to give him his credit and, and mention him as one of the best players of this like era if he can do that. Well, Boston has to learn from Milwaukee, and they have to learn from themselves because yes. Milwaukee messed yes. around a little bit early on in that series. With, with, I mean, maybe Giannis really couldn't go, but you, you gambled with where Miami was at. Then eh, it's fine. We're good. We're going to be able to still close the series out. And for Boston, they also need to look in the mirror because against Miami, and maybe it's just because of how well they've been playing, but against Miami, if you have slip-ups or you have games where you've taken off or you check out like they did a couple of times against Philadelphia, you're going to go home. Like Miami, you mentioned that. Miami will put you away. Like they, they've shown that already throughout this series. They're not going to lie down for anybody. They've done it in blowout fashion, and they've done it in a grinded-out fashion like they did this past series. Yeah, I feel like they don't beat themselves. Right. And that's what makes Miami so unique. I think the Lakers at times can beat themselves when they get two, three happy, particularly LeBron. Like, just don't shoot threes, my friend. <laughs> um, you know, I know Eddie's over there probably smiling like, yes, don't shoot threes. Um, because we've talked about this over and over. But I think that Miami's probably the most disciplined, one of the most disciplined teams in the league as far as being able to win when it matters most. And maybe I'm giving them a little too much credit because if they had played better throughout the regular season, they wouldn't be an eight seed. But I'll say throughout the postseason, that's my caveat, throughout the postseason, they've really – had a great run of just not beating themselves. And if they do lose, it's because the other team just won. It wasn't because they had it and they just absolutely just wrecked down the stretch where they had a bunch of turnovers or a bunch of bad shots or missed free throws. It's usually the other teams that do that and then they come in and steal it. So we'll see what happens. I think there's a lot of uh, storylines and which each game there's going to be, you know, the sky's falling if you lose and you're going to win a championship if you win. Because even now, a lot of my my friends who are you know LeBron fans and I'm enjoy watching them play. It's like, oh, they're gonna win their the fifth ring. It's like, wait a second, this isn't the finals. Like they got another round to get through, and that's number one seed over there with a guy who won two MVPs. And so they're not gonna lay down for you. And I do think that it adds something to it if you can be the team or the player who knocked off LeBron. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. It was like that with Tom Brady getting knocked out last in the postseason by the Cowboys. It's like. You want to be the team that knocked off the quote-unquote goat of your era. Mm -hmm. And so doesn't matter if he's old, injured, doesn't matter at all. I think that that's something that every team gets up for is like we're only beating this team, we're beating LeBron James. It's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Around the corner, we're going to have a conversation with Mark Jaynes, the voice of IndyCar Radio Network. He was on the call for the GMR Grand Prix over the weekend. That's all Alex below. Take it. We'll dive into that and take a look at the next two weeks in the lead-up to the greatest spectacle in racing. Mark Jaynes joins the Fan Midday Show next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Fan Midday Show, Jimmy Cook and James Boyd. Nice enough to make some time with us throughout the week. We'll have James in here in studio. You can find his work on The Athletic as 
one of the many Colts beat writers doing a great job throughout the year keeping you covered on all things Colts. We shift, though, to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. A legend in his own right, the great Mark Janes of the IndyCar Radio Network, nice enough to take some time with us. Mark, appreciate you making all the time for us this weekend. Obviously, you and I had a conversation on Indiana Sports Talk, and good to have you here now on the main airwaves here on the fan. I liken it to a... For all the drivers, right, it's still a delicious entree. But if you're a race fan, it is a delightful high-dollar appetizer at a five-star restaurant when you look at the Grand Prix and then the lead-up to the greatest spectacle in racing. And we got delivered one of those high-dollar level appetizers or entrees over the weekend with a runaway domination from Alex Pelot. Yeah, I think for sure. And uh, happy Monday, guys. Happy to be with you. Thanks for the invite, as always. But, uh, you know, I I think that, uh, you know, there are those that will always pine for the return to the quote-unquote month of May with two weekends of qualifying and everything that goes along with that. But uh, I I think um, what I saw, and then I think the the facts bear it out in terms of sales, that attendance was up uh, for the weekend that I think that shows a tremendous commitment on the part of Penske entertainment and, uh, one of the hardest working men in show business, uh, the IMS president, Doug Bowles. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I looked out out of our broadcast booth at turn four and saw that turn four grandstand packed about as much as uh, I've ever seen it packed in quite some time for that event. And, um, you know, what I thought was cool in the time that I had uh, the opportunity to walk around over the course of the weekend is, you know, given the price point for a general admission ticket and all that they have done to enhance the, 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 the viewing uh, points from the infield with the uh, expanded and extended viewing mounts uh, where you go onto the road course or the addition of video boards and, you know, the ever-expanding fan zone and all of that, I... I think as much as anything, you know, you, you want to set the tone for the month with a good event. But I think as much as anything, that event is becoming key to introducing a whole new generation of fans to uh, uh, not only the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but also the NTT IndyCar Series. And, yeah, I mean, uh, Alex Below was as dominant there as he was uh, at, uh, at, at at Laguna Seca last year. And uh, I just think the kid is uh, is a star on the rise. And, of course, you know, no one knows for sure uh, what his future holds, uh, given where he'll be in 2024. Uh, but I, for one, hope he stays put in the NTT IndyCar Series because, as I think I posted on social media, I think he is absolutely everything you would want in an ambassador for your sport. Yeah, Mark, I was going to chime in there and kind of piggyback off what you said. What do you think Alex does for that next generation of fans, people who want to look at him and be like him, and just the excitement he brings to the sport? Well, I think, you know, he's uh, he's this generation's Elio. And I know Elio is still, you know, very much a part of the NTT IndyCar series. And, and I'm not saying that, that, you know, drivers have one persona on camera and another persona off. Uh, but I think if, if there are any uh, that are absolutely, totally and completely genuine, uh, that uh, I think he fits into that category. I think what you see is what you get. And, guys, I'm telling you, uh, with with that mess that unfolded last year with his contract and his future with him and Ganassi and Errol McLaren, you know, we, we have media bullpen opportunities to kick off a weekend. And uh, he was always willing to be a part of those. Any question that anybody asked him about it, he didn't shy away from it. He didn't go on to the hauler and shut the doors and hide. Uh, he stood there and, and, and took it like a man. And, uh, you know, he stayed, um, you know, in, in contention for a championship 
throughout the course of the entire season and fell a, a, a little bit short. And and I, for one, as neutral as we're supposed to be, became, a, a you know, a, if not a fan, then certainly someone that has a tremendous amount of respect for his ability to focus on the task at hand and not allow things on the outside, especially things that he couldn't necessarily control, serve as a distraction. And I think that speaks well of it. But uh, he's very personable, very likable. I think as a driver, he has the respect of everyone in the paddock. I've never really heard anybody complain about him or be concerned about him, but not like the way he drives. And uh, you know, I, I, I just think that he's the he's he's the real deal, and he's the uh, he's the total package. And if he sticks around this series for very long, I think more championships will come. And you'd like to think that, given his recent success at the Indianapolis 500 and the team he's driving for this year. He'll be a contender for a win, especially now that he knows what he didn't know, uh, which resulted in his, in his runner-up finish to Elio Castro and Evans a couple of years ago when Elio won his fourth. The voice of the NT IndyCar Series, Mark James, nice enough to make some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Mark, with Alex Below and his team at Chip Ganassi Racing deciding to go with the Red Firestone alternates to start the race, how much of that helped set the stage for this win, but also that first and only caution that allowed him to get a little bit of extra juice out of those tires? Yeah, I don't think there's any question. As uh, our driver analyst, Davey Hamill, and I discussed it, you know, it wasn't so much the order of, of uh, you know, when you chose the reds and when you chose the blacks, but how you were able to manage them in those those various stints. And, and and Davey is of the opinion that the way they laid those out in terms of how they used them, you know, rotating between the reds and the black and in the order in which they did. I'm sorry, Kara Kristallik would prefer me to say primary and alternates. <laughs> we'll call them primaries and alternates, but everybody knows what we mean. But, I, I you know, Davey's of the opinion that, uh, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery and uh, – you know, a lot of people might emulate that when they get back here a little bit later on in the year with that that, that NASCAR IndyCar doubleheader weekend. I mean, uh, you know, that I, I think what it does, guys, is it gives you a little insight. And for the novice, it tells you how much this is a team sport. I mean, what they were able to do, I think, is, is akin to putting a game plan together with football with an offensive coordinator. I mean, you, you go in with a plan and you hope you're able to execute it. You're, you hope your quarterback's able to, to carry that out, your offensive line and defensive line and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, in a defensive game plan, I, I, I think it, it, it is indeed a team sport. I don't know that people view it as, as, as that as much. But, you know, there have been times when the wrong call, to come on and just the timing of what lap you come in has cost guys an opportunity for for a win and and, and let's keep in mind five different winners through five races and so for all intents and purposes it looks like this season is shaping up very much like last in which the the season champion won but one race during the year but he was pretty consistent in terms of of him of his podium finishes and his ability to grab pole and and i think that uh, that's that's very much what we're looking at this year, even though we've now reached the point where we're going to put the championship discussion on hold for a couple of weeks and get back to that when we go to Detroit. So, Mark, I've been living in Indy for about a year and a half now. I haven't made it to the Indy 500, hoping to go for the first time uh, this year. What can someone like me, who's still relatively new to the sport, new to the city, um, expect that weekend? Well, I think you're going to be blown away. I, I think the earlier you can get there, the better and I recommend that because it's just absolutely awesome to watch that place come to life. I mean, 
if you get in there, you know, six o'clock, six thirty, uh, and and you just you ha- you see the place relatively empty, and then uh, watch it come to life, and then you know, kind of settle back in your seat about the time that the pre-race festivities and everything get going around, you know, ten o'clock in the morning or so. Um, you know, you, you could literally feel uh, throughout your entire body the energy build. Oh, wow. And uh, the, the, the history and the tradition of the pre-race festivities and the order in which they're done, um, it's, it's, it's a very, very uh, humbling set of ceremonies. Uh, it, uh, there's a, a tinge of patriotism in it for sure and respect and admiration for, for those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country. And, and, and then all of a sudden, we shift our focus back to uh, uh, the, the greatest race in the world. And uh, I, the command to start engines uh, gives you a level of anticipation that uh, if you're experiencing it for the first time, I'd be anxious to talk to you afterwards to see how that <laughs> felt. And then that, that, that opening lap is, is a combination of, of man-machine power and chaos, which is unlike anything that you've ever seen. So, And, and I think... The only thing that will be stronger than your desire to see it the first time will be the desire to see it again and again and again. Mark, for Alex Pillow, he's going to attempt to do what one other driver has ever done, which is sweep the month of May. Simon Pagano doing that in 2019. I know everybody says this, right? It's just like any other sport. What are you supposed to say about your car? But Alex Pillow talked a lot in post-race about how they felt like they had the fast car, the right car all week. And I know there's so much that goes into it and and luck factors in as well. But, but just how difficult of a feat is that to not only win the 500, as we well know, but complete this sweep? Well, I think it's difficult in this day and age, as we just discussed about the championship. I mean, I, I think it's difficult to win at Barber. It's difficult to win at Long Beach, at Worldwide Technology Raceway, Iowa Speedway, or anywhere. I mean, you're, you know, you're looking at, at, at this past weekend. We had 27 cars in that field, and Davey and I discussed this, too. I mean, out of those 27, there were over 20 cars in that field that you, you really felt like that, that had a, le, a, a legitimate shot to win the race. And I mean, think about that. I mean, there's, there's no other uh, form of motorsports in the world. I don't care what anybody says. There is no other form of motorsports in the world that you can say that about. This is the one and only, but that is definitely true. And the fact that we've had five different winners, I think reaffirms that. Uh, but it is, uh, it, it, and it's difficult, uh, so difficult to win the, uh, the Indianapolis 500, uh, and you could ask anybody who won it how hard it is because, again, much like I just said about your first experience of the 500, it, Tony Kanan and all have said it. The only thing stronger than a desire to win that race is the desire to win it again. And, you know, uh, it, it's like I've talked to Davey about. The Davey was a two-time series runner-up uh, in the old IRL days, and Davey can tell you exactly when and where he lost – both of those championships and go back to last year i think scott dixon will tell you where his opportunity won his second went away and all of those drivers while they certainly remember the ones that that they won they could also tell you the very close calls they had that could have led to them getting in some cases because some cases their first win or in some cases their second or i mean takuma sato for one if things go differently and his dust up with Dario, does he have three wins now? So there's probably no other event in the world 
where ifs and buts are more applicable than that one, and that's all part of the wonderful tapestry that, that makes it the greatest spectacle in racing. He is the legend, Mark James. Nice to take some time with us here on The Fan. Busiest time of the year. I know there's no days off in sports, but especially for you, Mark, we appreciate your time as always and looking forward to following along throughout the month. Guys, keep up the great work you do all throughout the year, but especially this month. I mean, you give people a lot of tremendous access and really connect them to the greatest spectacle in racing. You guys are the mothership for our radio network, and we're proud of that long association for sure. Thank you. Right back at you, Mark. Proud to be a part of that partnership, and always good to have you along with us. That's Mark Jaynes, the voice of the NTT IndyCar Series. Nice to take some time with us. This month does not stop. And we continue to roll right along as the Fan Midday Show doesn't stop either. We'll step aside when we come back. We'll then get that conversation we promised you from James in terms of where the starting spot might be for Anthony Richardson, if not week one. But before we get to that, around the corner, it's giveaway time. So James is underneath the microscope twice. He's going to deliver you his trivia question, and we're going to get his takeaways on Anthony Richardson's potential arrival Trivia question, though, is up next. 317-239-1070 is the number to call if you want to win a pair of tickets to the Indianapolis 500. you got to answer a question from James. 317-239-1070. You're on the clock when we come back. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. If you haven't called in yet, you're late to the party for a chance to win a pair of tickets to the Indianapolis 500. 317-239-1070 is the number to call. Already have a good, healthy line in front of you, but you never know. Perhaps a curveball or two might be felt with our trivia question today. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, and Eddie Garrison here on the Fan Midday Show. James, I've already announced that because I know the question, I know the answer. This is way tougher than anything I've done non-Star Wars division but Eddie said it's a great starter question. So for those of you on hold, fret not. It's a good balance, I would say, in terms of the quality of the question. You excited? You ready, ready, ready to deliver? You feel like you're hosting who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> yeah, actually, I feel very confident <laughs> in, about, about my question. Um, so the question is, who is the oldest Indy 500 winner? All right. Let's start top to bottom. Let's go Dennis. He was first in line. Dennis. Hello. Did you hear the question? Or need James to give it to you again. Yeah, I am going to go with Johnny Rutherford. No, sir. It's a good guess, but no. Hang tight, though. We might circle back around to you depending on if you get another opportunity. Now, Mark, I you think have to that we're going to have to say you just got to yodel instead for these. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. We appreciate you being a good sport last week, vying for that other prize package for Qualls and Carb Day. 500 tickets now on the line. Same question. Who is the oldest Indy 500 winner? Al Unzer Sr. Way to go, Mark. Boom. Well done. Redemption for you. The yodels yeah. were worth it in the end. <laughs> I was not a part of that. He needs to celebrate with the yodel. <laughs> oh. Mark, I do not agree with them bullying you. <laughs> Appreciate you, Mark. Thank you so much. Hang tight. And he's going to gather some information from you so we can get those tickets to you. Again, that's a pair of tickets to the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. <laughs> we are well within the home stretch. Sunday, May 28th, just coming up. It's not this weekend, but next weekend will be the greatest spectacle in racing. Mark is going. If you'd like an opportunity to go, we're going to have a pair of tickets given away 
Every day this week here on the Fan Midday Show, if you miss out on these opportunities like Matt and Dennis that call in, and we want you to call in the rest of the week, obviously, but if you want an opportunity and don't want to wait until the next trivia contest here on the Fan Midday Show, you can go to 1075thefan.com, go to our contest page. There's an opportunity to enter to win a pair there online as well. Well done. Good for you. You honored you honored the, the legacy of uh, game show host before you very well, I thought. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I thought, you know, after the first guy did not get it, I was like, okay, it's, it's hard enough. You know, not too easy. Get a little drama in there because it wasn't the first guy to get it right. But, you know, fun. And I guess I learned something new today myself because I didn't know that answer to that question until 15 minutes ago. Well, so. now, well now you've set the bar high for yourself, though, because you're back in here tomorrow, if I'm I know. not mistaken. So we might have to, to ride your coattails once again in terms of our, our trivia department. Don't worry, man. I'm, I'm, you can ride my coattails anytime you want to. We're going to the championship. So hop on. There's going to be an opportunity. For, I appreciate that. It's going to be an opportunity for a deeper conversation on this before we end the show and we'll, we'll pay off this more fully at 245. Of course, we'll have conversations with it. Stephen Holder, our next guest, top of the hour here in just a couple of minutes. We'll get his thoughts on Colt's schedule. We'll get across the board with Matt Ryan heading to CBS as an NFL analyst, but in a, a shorter time frame here, we won't go fully in depth on it, but do you have a lean for you personally of when you'd like to see Anthony Richardson under center? For me, I want to see him out there week one as long as the only issue is the reps. He's learning everything. He's processing everything well, but he has to get out there and play. If that's the pulse in the complex at West 56th, I want him starting week one. So you're basically just asking me, who do I want to write about? Yes, I am, James. And of way. course, <laughs> it is Anthony Richardson. I would prefer for him to start week one, but... To your point, I do think the reps has to matter. But to me, the biggest factor, as I've been banging the you know all along, is the protection. Mm-hmm. If you can protect him, again, if your offensive line is just average, it doesn't have to be great. If it is just average and he's not going out there and putting himself in danger, then I think you should start week one. And I think that, again, I was totally against this until I heard Shane Steichen say, the reps matter. And he seems like he's open to it because I thought that he would be more um, precautionary. But it seems like, hey, I, I'm the quarter, not the quarterback, I'm the coach who vouched for this quarterback who told Jim Ursay to get this guy. And so you got him. And I think that he wants to prove right away that this was the right decision. Now, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be moments where it doesn't look so good. But if you believe in him that much, why wouldn't you believe in him enough to start him? And again, I do think at some point it has to be now versus, you know, next year. We're going to go further into that when we come back from a quick break. Stephen Holder going to join us, take us through his accounts of the schedule release, what he's seen to this point in the offseason, where things go from here. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com covers the Colts, does a great job. We'll have a conversation with him when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Back in the DriveHewler.com studio, I'm James Boyd here with Jimmy Cooks, host of the Midday Show on 107.5, 93.5, The Fan. We have Stephen Holder on the line, my fellow Colts reporter, someone who convinced me that the NFL was for me, and then we went through the most ridiculous season together, so I still blame him for that. <laughs> um, but Holder, how are you doing? And um, I guess to start off, You've seen Anthony Richardson, just as we have. What are your first impressions of the new face of the franchise? 
Well, first of all, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I, we never had that conversation. You totally made that up. But, uh, you know, that's, that's what I've come to expect from you, you know. You just can't be honest. I get it. I get it. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I do think uh, – it just. and by the way, give it more than one season, you know, after you've done like 17 like me, hopefully they balance out. There but you anyhow, go. There you go. Uh, so, Anthony Richardson, I, I really think what, – here's what we know so far. I, I don't know what kind of player Anthony Richardson is going to be because mm-hmm. we can't know that. Uh, I do know that – he is saying and doing all the right things. Mm -hmm. And I I trust that that is going to have the potential to take him a long way. I think understanding his role as a quarterback and and the the import of that is is really important. And he does seem to get it. I I love that about him. He, He has this unique ability to have a swagger and a confidence, but also not come across as, you know, as, 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 you know, undue confidence, I guess, you know, or, mm-hmm. or just, you know, kind of bragging, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, look, I do what I do, but he also has a, a way of really being, I, I think showing humility that I believe is really going to endear him to his, his older teammates. It's, it's a really tough thing for a young quarterback to come into a veteran team and they do have a fair number of veterans. Uh, I, I think it takes a certain kind of young man to do that. And he seems to have the ability to do it. And then lastly, I would just add, the the brief window we saw at rookie uh, rookie minicamp a couple of weeks ago, I think in that window you did see some of the flash mm-hmm. that that is so talked about and that he demonstrated at Florida last year. So it's all there. It's just gonna you know it's gonna be a process. Stephen Holder with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Stephen, you kind of broke it down on Twitter either just before or just after the schedule was released, highlighting that. This is the fourth softest schedule in the NFL based off strength of schedule from last year. And while you can't put all of your eggs in that basket, perhaps it could change what the Colts are able to do this year on a week-by-week basis. After you saw all those games get lined up and know where they're at now, did that change anything for you, finally seeing it on paper? Are you about in the same spot where this could be a good opportunity for them, even if their over-under is set at like six and a half going into this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't hate the over-under. I think it's, um, for me, the number is around seven, you know, just personally. But, you know, who knows, right? right? Um, I, I do think that it's possible this is a season where our expectations could change over the course of the season. You know, because, honestly, they're they're so heavily dependent on, on the quarterback and, and the type of quarterback play they get. <laughs> Excuse me. Whether that quarterback is you know, Anthony Richardson initially or, or Gardner Minshew. Uh, I think quarterback play last year had a lot to do with the results, right? It always does. And so in a positive or negative fashion. So, I mean, we know that. And so I think if the quarterback play is better than anticipated, and you can't have high expectations for a rookie, you, you have to have modest expectations, but sometimes they surprise you. And so if that happens and suddenly you're getting solid performances from Anthony Richardson and he's keeping defenses at bay. And then you've got uh, Jonathan Taylor in the mix and he's doing Jonathan Taylor things again. You know, now you have a, a scenario where they're going to win some games that maybe they weren't expected to. And, and who knows? So I, I just think that's kind of the fun of it. Um, and going back to your original question, did my expectations change? I mean, I don't know that they changed, but I do think 
there are some opportunities. I think the early part of the schedule is very manageable, at least if they're a competent football team. They were not last year. <laughs> but but if they are and they show that they're competent, you know, they can they can score a few wins in there. So it's up to them. And and they've got to show us what they are for us to really truly gauge, you know, what success is, I think, this year. Steven, you've covered this team for a number of years now. You know yeah. how much <laughs> Oh, here he goes. For listeners out there, he thinks everything I say is like an old joke, but no, that's just <laughs> me giving my respect to the to the OGs of the, of the group. But um, you know, Jim Ursay has loved his quarterbacks. You know that position means more to him, you know, than anything. And so for him to get a new one in there, a rookie one, which is what he's wanted all along, how much do you think Anthony Richardson means to him going forward as he tries to reconfigure this franchise? Anthony Richardson represents hope. And and while that's something usually the fans latch on to, I've always said, you know, Jim Mercer is himself a huge fan. Mm-hmm. You know, look, he, he gets it and he's in, he's more invested than the rest of us because, you know, he's literally invested. But <laughs> at the same time, I mean, it, it, it really is for him, I think, a chance to hopefully, you know, he hopes, turn the page. I mean, the Andrew Luck saga has been crushing for everybody. There's no doubt about that. But, I mean, I, I remember – Jim Mercy's face sitting in that press conference that night. I'll never forget it. And I mean, he looked defeated. He looked crushed that night that Andrew Luck walked away because I think he knew what it meant for mm-hmm. his team. You know, and and I think th- there really hasn't been an opportunity to really feel good about that position for any length of time uh, since then. And and this represents a chance for them to get back to that. I mean, there was a time when. You know, really a long time here, right? A period of two decades, frankly, where any Colts game was winnable because of the quarterback. I mean, that is a great feeling, <laughs> you know, and, and that feeling has just been absent for, for too long. And, and I think Jim Mercer sees the chance to recapture that. We don't know if it'll, it'll be there, but, but it's, it's, a, it's their biggest swing yet, I think. Steven, James brought up a great point earlier when we were discussing the schedule and my angst for the lack of primetime games. I get it, they have to be earned, but you look around the league, there's a handful of teams that I don't really think earned three, four primetime games when maybe the Colts could have gotten one. But James brought up the point that if the Colts would have done something that only a handful of teams would actually do or have the gall to do and straight up say, he's our starter week one, he's going to be under center week one, that maybe there would have been an angle to have another rookie potential superstar quarterback match him up against Bryce Young in Carolina or match him up against C.J. Stroud when the Texans face off or Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. Do you think that could have changed anything? If they, would, I mean, they, don't, they wouldn't say that just for the sake of getting a primetime game. I know that. But would that have changed something if this was a clear he's starter week one direction for this franchise? I mean, perhaps. I do think that they were, they, they're going to continue to be you know, ambiguous about it right. you know, just so that they don't box themselves in. But I think that's, that's probably the approach that other teams have taken, too. I, I don't know offhand like what the Panthers have said about Bryce Young. I don't know if they've committed to him starting week one. I, I don't think the Texans have necessarily committed to C.J. Stroud week one. It's just what teams do. But... Um, but I, but I do think there's probably more ambiguity here because you do have Gardner Minshew. So I get it on the TV, you know, on the TV side of it. Um, it may have made a difference. I mean, if, if there was no Gardner Minshew, if it was Anthony Richardson and Sam Ellinger, 
I think we would be having a much clearer conversation, right? And not to slight Sam Ellinger, but I, I think at the end of the day, uh, he, he doesn't trump the the potential of Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson would start if that was his competition. Um, but it is Gardner Minshew, and he, he has started a lot of games in this league. So th- that does make it a little more complicated. Uh, the other thing I would say is that uh, they they definitely are starting to loosen up the the flex scheduling policies, and I think you're going to see more of that um, going forward. And so they'll have some opportunities. It really boils down to whether they get hot and whether the quarterback becomes a storyline and someone people want to see. Then that could that could matter. I would say that Anthony Richardson. I know the the fantasy people out there are very are very invested in him and very interested in, in what it looks like for him. And that sometimes can get you get you some eyeballs too. So we'll see how that goes. I'm just picturing Shane Steichen uh, bringing up fantasy to him in a press conference and him just looking like, <laughs> we do not care <laughs> at all. Yeah, I'll leave that question for you. Uh, yeah. um, I'm going to ask questions that actually get answered. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope. Let's hope. Um, but again, Stephen, when it comes to the rest of this draft class, there's some pieces there with Josh Downs, Juju Brents. How do you think those two offensively and defensively can maybe step in and potentially have a a say-so or an impact quicker than Anthony Richardson can? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I think, you know, it's, it's possible both those guys could be in the lineup day one. I think it's not likely, definitely the strong possibility. And I think that they have a chance to have real impact right out the gate. I like those picks. I, I like this draft overall. I mean, ask me again in three years, but I think <laughs> right now, you know, all we can go by is just, you know, first impressions. I, I do like that there was a very clear approach. You know, they, they went for high-end athletes, and I think you're always trying to do that, but they they really prioritized that. But I think they also got guys who can play in those instances as well. I mean, you know, with the two players you just mentioned, I mean – they might be really good athletes and 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 have high athletic scores, but they also are really proven. You know, mm-hmm. so it's not like they're just some guys who just went to the combine and put up a bunch of numbers. Like these guys have have done it. I mean, they have they're very experienced players, and and they have they have performed at a high level uh, on big stages. So I don't think you're really. I think sometimes it, this draft class has kind of gotten painted as just a, a class where it's like, ah, oh, they just went for a bunch of athletes, but that's that sells some of these guys short, I think. You know, these, these are guys who are productive players, and they're going to be counting on them in some cases pretty early on. Stephen Holder with us of ESPN.com. Covers the Colts. Does a great job there here on the Fan Midday Show. Stephen, it was pretty clear from Garden Minshew's comments that – at least when he was initially signed, that he was ready to work, he he was ready to battle, whatever it took. But he also understood that that this is a weird transition year for the Colts, or at least it could be. How does his dynamic or his value change if he is the backup week one but is relied upon to have that veteran leadership for a young quarterback like Anthony Richardson in that quarterback room? Yeah, I think he... I think he can handle that role. Uh, he, it wasn't exactly the role he had in Philly, but to some extent, you know, you still had a, a young starter in Jalen Hurts. I mean, he's still a young guy. And not that Gardner Minshew is some you know, right. grizzled veteran, but I mean, he's still pretty young himself. But, but I do think Gardner has always kind of had a, a way about him, a maturity about him that 
enabled him to kind of handle different roles. And you saw he stepped in last year, and, and the team had a lot of confidence in him in Philadelphia. I, I think they went 0-2, but, I mean, they were they were pretty competitive in those games, and I thought he had some moments, you know, where, where he showed potential enough so that Shane Steichen wanted him here. I mean, th- let's be honest, that's, that's probably the main reason he is here, is that Shane Steichen is the head coach. So, you know, when you're – the other thing he has going for him is – uh, he has experience in the system. So that creates, I, I think, a really important role for him, no matter what, what, no matter if he's a starter or not. It creates a role where he can have a, a lot of influence and, and really be a resource uh, for Anthony Richardson and, and Sam Ellinger as well, as long as he's here. So I think it's a good thing. And, and ultimately, I think Gardner – is a guy who can handle that situation well and seems to have the maturity to, you know, deal with the, the punches as they come. Steven, we know the offensive line was one of the weakest units of this team last year. Perhaps most surprising to me throughout the draft was not really addressing it. I know they got Blake Freeland, but they didn't really address it, I guess, as, you know, obviously as, as I might have guessed going in. What are your thoughts on what they do next to potentially – you know, bolster that offensive line and do something to make sure they don't have what happened last year repeat itself. Well, I agree. I, I do think they they mentioned, or Chris Ballard at least mentioned, strongly suggested, I guess, that there were some veteran interior linemen that they have been talking to. And I think that's his way of saying, you know, we're, we're considering some signings there. And I think that's probably the way they go. They have done this before. You know, they uh, Eric Fisher a couple of years ago at left tackle. They signed him after the draft. I think a week or two after the draft. Now he didn't perform great necessarily, but he did you know, ultimately become their starter at left tackle. You know, getting a left tackle after the draft. I mean, that's you know that's pretty tough to do. So, but they were able to do that then. Um, I I think the they need more competition. I think on the interior is what I would want to see. Uh, particularly, we're talking about right guard, which was really problematic last year. I think you got to have some competition there. And I, I do think Freeland was a slight surprise to me because I didn't think they were going to really double down a tackle like that. But in retrospect, the more I think about it, I'm actually fine with it. Uh, he, he definitely could be, you would think, a, um, a swing tackle, which is really important. I mean, they're, they're one injury away at, at right or left tackle from being in a really bad place. So – so that's really important, and, and they have had to dip into that tackle depth a couple of times here in the last couple of years. So, so it matters, and, and who knows? I mean, you may, you may find, they may find or discover that he has some position flexibility. Who knows? You know, so I think he's a good player, a good athletic player with, with good movement skills, and then you figure out where he fits and what his role is later on, I guess, has kind of been the Colts' approach. But, I mean, so they improved the offensive line overall. I just don't know – if they did it at the place we thought they needed it most, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll see. I, I do think that they, they can't leave that to chance. They have to feel somewhat confident about that offensive line going into the season, uh, particularly with a young quarterback. You know, he's, he's going to have enough on his plate. Uh, don't make him have to compensate for, for poor protection, too. Yeah, we completely agree with you on that front. I mean, you you don't want to make the process harder than it needs to be, even if it is Minshew, but particularly if it's Anthony Richardson. And, and to kind of build off of James's question, Stephen, 14 years of experience for Tony Sperano Jr., first year now as the Colts offensive line coach. You look at the resurgent that happened across the board, particularly in the running game, 
last year, obviously he was an assistant with New York, but you look at what he was able to do with the Giants and with Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. Where's the expectation level for him to bring this offensive line back to form or close to back to form? And how much did that weigh into how they attacked the adjustments they made so far this offseason up in the trenches? It's a really interesting hire. I mean, the, the offensive line coach is so critical. I mean, I, I know Frank Reich at multiple occasions has told me, and this is just his opinion, but I, I think a lot of people agree, he would always say the offensive line coach is your most important hire, like as much or more so than your your coordinator even. So he just thought that position and, and the, the job of that particular coach, teaching technique and, and with all of the – uh, all the above the next stuff that they have to deal with at that position. He just thought it was so, so critical to have a, an excellent teacher at that spot. So, so that is the context here. That's how important this job is. And it'll be interesting to see how he adapts. I mean, you know, the first time, uh, you know, offensive line coach, he's been an assistant offensive line coach, at least at the NFL level uh, for Tony Sperano Jr. And, I'm interested to see how he adapts. But I, I would say the other thing I, I can tell you is that uh, Shane Steichen had a, a really uh, thorough interview process for his assistant coaches from everything I've heard. I mean, he, he went from A to Z, and the interviews were, were very non-conventional and, like, extremely thorough. And so he must have seen something. And everything I've been told is that you know, he put these guys through the ringer in these interviews. So that, that says something about, about the types of uh, coaches they hired, even though they did hire uh, somewhat younger, a, a younger staff and in some cases not quite as experienced as, as you might be accustomed to. But I, I definitely think uh, they had to earn it from all indications in these interviews. Steven, the other thing I want to touch on is Germany. Do you have any food recommendations for your boy because you know we go on the road the joke <laughs> jimmy is that i don't eat what everyone else eats because if i can't pronounce it which i can't pronounce anything in germany when i get there <laughs> so will you be my chaperone and help me you know expand my horizons yeah i, I think let, let's so start with a trip advisor account okay so <laughs> up and uh do, do your research i've not been to germany so i we're gonna learn this together hey let's do it uh, i have no idea so we got we got a few months and i think we got time to figure this out and uh yeah let's let's go for it i, I mean look i'm i'm open to anything for the most part um so we'll see. We'll see. I'm, let's 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 broaden your horizons, James. I think we can do it. Will Anthony Richardson be the quarterback in Germany? <laughs> do you think yeah. in week ten? I say yes. All right. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, if not, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> what, what? Like, I mean, unless unless Gardner Minshew is the second coming of Patrick Mahomes, and he has not been for the past four years. So um, unless that's the case, and they just he he just goes on a tear then by all means, go for it. <laughs> but short of that, um, no, if, you, if you're losing with Gardner Minshew, you can lose with Gardner, excuse me, you can lose with Anthony Richardson, you know, and, and the, the added bonus of him, you know, developing in the meantime. So that's my take on that. So we'll see how it goes. Maybe uh, Minshew will surprise people. We'll see. Last thing on my front, Stephen, uh, I want to give you an opportunity as the Miami native, and I do agree with you, he's probably one of the most undervalued coaches in the NBA. Uh summarize what Eric Spolstra, Jimmy Butler, and company are doing down there. 
Oh, man, it's uh, – look, I'll tell you, I, I covered the Heat for four years in a previous life. And so I'm familiar with that organization. <laughs> and I, I will tell you, it's, it's a culture. It really is a culture. And everybody talks about having culture, and it's easy to say that. Uh, they live it, and they have proven it time and time again. And it's been handed down from, you know, guys like Alonzo Mourning uh, to Udonis Haslam. And it really all started with Pat Riley, frankly. And I, I just I love it. I think it's it, it just really is uh, a testament to to the importance of culture and committing to things like hard work and defense. I, I real quickly I do remember uh, this isn't about Spolster, but I remember when Pat Riley was coach. They had this really uh, unique grading system where they would you know before the the real emergence of, of analytics that we see today. You know, they had their own grading system. I never got the details of it, but apparently it was like, it was so hard and, and they graded guys at a ridiculous level. Uh, but the whole point behind that was, you know, to, to engender more effort from guys, you know, and, and it's like, we don't care what other teams ask of you here. We ask more. And so that's always been a, a part of their culture, and Spolster was raised under that. And I, I tell you, he has a great touch uh, when it comes to getting the most out of guys. I and mean, we've seen that in no better example than Jimmy Butler emerging um, finally in his career and blossoming. So anyway, th- I don't know if they're going to win, but they, they overachieve year in and year out, and there's a reason for that. It's going to be fun to see what they're able to do against Boston. Always fun to get a chance to talk with you, Steven. Thanks so much for making some time for us. All right, guys. Anytime. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com covers the Colts. Does a great job on that front and uh, seemed like he was willing to take you under his wing for that Germany trip. But I don't know if you read between the lines like I did. It, it seemed like he tell he told you to prepare yourself first with that TripAdvisor <laughs> account. And then maybe there'll be a larger roundtable discussion for you two of how you're going to map out your uh, your dominance over there in Germany. Look, I was trying to see if ESPN.com, <laughs> you know, with their worldwide leader in sports. A Mickey Mouse pass, perhaps? Yeah, I was just trying to see if he got a plus one and, you know, help your boy out. But, no, Holder's great, um, and that's what we call him. So it was weird calling him Steven over and over again. We call him Holder, but he's uh, he's great. He was a big help to me when I first got the Colts job and a big help to me now, and it'll be fun to go overseas and travel. And that's one of the things I do appreciate about the beat is when you leave, you're not going by yourself. I did a lot of road trips by myself on the Pacers beat. Loved it still, but it is more fun when you got some buddies with you to kind of recap and and make the memories together. He is right, though, and I get it. I understand they're a team that are still met with vitriol across these airways. I understand, but you could say what you want about Eric Spolstra. He continues to have teams, and I know that, with every great era and any of the names that you list that have made seven or more conference finals appearances, every name on that list, Phil Jackson, Pat Riley, Greg Popovich, Eric Spolstra, that's the list, have had great talent around them. In some cases, they've helped carry and get the most out of lesser talent. You could argue that with this Miami team, right? They've dealt with injuries, they've dealt with adversity. They still have a superstar like Jimmy Butler, but it is so much about culture, and I know that like Miami gets mocked for, for heat culture and all that during the big three, and, and some of it's overblown, it is, but at its core, in general with coaching, whether you are in South Beach, whether you're here in Indianapolis, you have to have buy-in. You have to have the amount of a culture effect where people understand your goal, they're willing to do it together, they're willing to sacrifice for one another, That's what you're hoping is going to be built in the Shane Steichen era right now in Indianapolis for the Colts. That's what you're hoping is happening over at Gambridge Fieldhouse, and we believe it is happening from what we've seen to this point with Rick Carlisle. And 
I mean, it's fascinating. Like, I know Milwaukee was somewhat banged up, and I know they took advantage of an opportunity, but they could have gotten bounced in the play-in, and Jimmy Butler's helped carry that load, but Eric Spolster's done a large part of it, too. Absolutely, and I think every year you could say, if this person hadn't gotten hurt, if this happened, I mean... It is what it is. The year that Giannis won his championship in Milwaukee alongside his teammates, there were a lot of injuries that factored into that. The year that the Lakers won in the bubble, they played a depleted Miami Heat team that got hurt and banged up a few games in. You know, the year that LeBron lost and and the Cavs lost, 2015, and the Warriors got their first ring of what will be a dynastic run, which may continue, was when they were hurt. So, I mean, I don't really care too much about injuries. I I think that... You know, it's it's good to talk about it and you want to put everything in context, but at the end of the day, what matters is if you got the job done and if a team is hurt and you win because of it, good on you. And that's what Jimmy Butler and the Heat have done so far. We'll expand that NBA conversation a little bit. We'll be joined by Brett Siegel around the corner where he'll take us through what is a big week for the NBA. Conference finals start tomorrow. We'll get his take on that and also mix in a little bit of what could be a very important night for the Indiana Pacers tomorrow night in the NBA Draft Lottery in Chicago. Brett Siegel joins us when we come back. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Still here in the DriveHubler.com studio, I'm James Boyd with Jimmy Cooks, Eddie Garrison, 1075 93.5 the fan we got my buddy Brett Siegel on the line from clutch points um, covering the NBA at large and we're going to ask him about the Pacers because here in Indy at large is some huge stakes when it comes to these ping pong balls tomorrow night so Brett um, assuming nothing crazy happens and the Pacers stay in that six seven eight range who are some players that you think would fit this team and I know here it's all about wings wings more wings. <laughs> well, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the Pacers are in a very interesting spot, and I think that they're in one of the most intriguing spots in this entire draft, simply because this is a team that's on the rise. You have Tyrese Halliburton as your all-star point guard for many years to come. You've surrounded him with capable talents like Buddy Heald, Miles Turner that have been there, and now all of a sudden, the Pacers could just be one player away from being a team that's back in the playoffs and making some noise, kind of like that we saw from the New York Knicks this year. I think that that's a viable solution for them heading into the 2023-24 season of being a team like that that ends up getting one of those middle seeds because of all the talent surrounding Halliburton. And then let's say you end up with that sixth pick like you just mentioned, you have a chance to add another player like Benedict Matherin, who you added last year. A player like Amen Thompson, a player like Asar Thompson, guys who are just street athletes, can play on the wing, can play with the ball in their hands, and are virtually unguardable because they can play any position on the floor. So that that's really the intriguing spot that the Pacers are in, is if they end up with that five, six, seven spot, they're gonna be a team in the draft that not only are teams trying to call up and move up in the draft with but they're also in a position where they can get another one of these hybrid players that can really separate them from other teams in the Eastern Conference. Brett, the Pacers have to their name three first-round picks. Obviously, two of those three are towards the bottom of the draft. But when you look at this class and you look at maybe how deep it is, is there more value than years past on those back-end picks if the Pacers were were wanting to move those around, whether it was to trade up or whether it was to bring in a, a veteran piece or two for this young core? It's certainly interesting to talk about because you look at some of those guys that are in the 20 to even 40 range – 
a lot of them are 50-50 kind of hit or miss guys. Like, yeah, they had some really good college careers. They have a lot of potential. But when you look at them going to the league, will they pan out? It's a, it's a really big question mark. And it sounds like a very cop-out answer, I guess. But there's really a lot of unknowns in this draft. Other than those top 10 guys, other than the, the, the lottery per se, I have a lot of questions surrounding some of these guys. And, and just looking at somebody, for example, a guy like Derek Whitehead, undisputed lottery pick coming into Duke during his freshman year, had that foot injury, mm-hmm. didn't play a lot at Duke, and now there's questions about where he will end up in this draft. If he falls out of the lottery, is he a guy that teams will potentially miss out on, and will he fall down draft boards? And then another guy out on the West Coast from Pepperdine, Maxwell Lewis, who I'm especially high on, he's a guy that could absolutely flourish, and nobody really knows much about him. So I think we'll have a, a better per se, of what things will look like after the combine this week and after we get to see these guys actually play in scrimmages and play against one another and after scouts get to sit down and talk with them. But right now, I I don't really know how to answer that. I think that the back end of this draft in the end of the first round is very hit or miss this year. Bray, you touched on a little bit there with guys having great college careers and maybe not having that same level of success in the NBA or being able to translate it. I think two of those guys here in the Indiana area are Zach Eady and Trace Jackson Davis. There are question marks about if they can translate the success they had at the college level to the NBA. But one guy who seems, at least to me, to be a pretty good pick and someone you can be pretty safe about is Jalen hood Shafino out of IU. How do you think his game will maybe translate or better, you know, benefit or have better benefit in the NBA with just the spacing considering his skill set? Yeah, I think that he's one of the better shooters in this draft class, and I think that there's a lot of growth for him this week at the Combine and through these pre-draft workouts. Right now, I have him just outside the lottery as a draft prospect, but based on how things go this week and over the course of the next two, three weeks, he could easily work his way up to the end of the lottery, similar to what we saw with Cord Kisper a few years ago when he went to the Washington Wizards. I think that Hood Shafino is in a similar spot to that, and he could be a prospect that really comes in and is able to contribute off the bench right away. A solid guard known for playing on the ball, but I think that he can really contribute as a guy that runs off screens, spot of three-point shooting, and can play a little bit of everything either on the wing or as a, as a bigger guard for many teams in this league. Brett Siegel with us, covers the NBA at the national level for clutch points. Brett, I want to get your thoughts on three teams and which you feel like has the toughest offseason facing them. When you look at Philadelphia, when you look at Phoenix, and you look at Golden State, obviously varying degrees of their arcs for where they are as a franchise, the Warriors being the cream of the crop for so long, and obviously they're going to have to face some roster decisions just like those other two teams I mentioned. Who has the toughest challenge this offseason, and how different do you think those three teams will look next year? It's an interesting question because I think that they all face different challenges that create a unique situation for each. So you look at the Philadelphia 76ers, obviously the questions right now surround Doc Rivers. We've seen a lot of head coaches on the outs this offseason, which in my opinion, a lot of them shouldn't have been fired, but that's just kind of the way of the road right now in the NBA. So Doc Rivers potentially being fired from Philly and going elsewhere, that it's still a very real possibility Again, a better picture will be painted for that over the course of the next week or so as as they have their exit interviews and as Elton Brand and Daryl Moore are able to sit down and come up with a plan of what this franchise is going to look like moving forward. But I think that Philadelphia is definitely trending downwards right now. You have that Doc Rivers situation. You have Joel Embiid coming off an MVP season. Obviously, his frustrations are very clear with not being able to get past the Eastern Conference semifinals in recent years. James Harden is a major question mark. He could up and leave, either go to Houston or somewhere else in the offseason. So Philly has their own internal problems to deal with there. 
You look at the Phoenix Suns, I think that they're on red alert entering this offseason because Kevin Durant is approaching the age where he's still going to be playing at a superstar all-NBA level, but you have to have that in your mind, that he's an aging veteran in this league. How much more can you really get from him without having a young core to kind of back him up? Chris Paul, his contract situation is very interesting this offseason. They could potentially opt out of his deal, making him a free agent, or they could trade him to free up cap room there. You have Devin Booker, who's going to have his fourth or fifth head coach since entering the league. So a lot of questions surround the Phoenix Suns as well. For the Golden State Warriors, I'm not too worried about the direction for them. I think that that core of Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry is there to stay. They obviously love Andrew Wiggins. They're not going to be getting rid of him. They'll have conversations about trading Jordan Poole. But the big question mark surrounds Bob Myers this offseason and whether or not he will be back as the president of basketball operations and the general manager for the Golden State Warriors. There's a lot of belief right now around the league that he could potentially take the year off and take the 2023-24 season off to be with his family until reevaluating things moving forward. So there's a lot going on with Bob Myers. There's teams pursuing him. The Warriors want him back. But he's truly 50-50 on the fence whether or not he wants to remain in the NBA or kind of sit back, relax, and kick his feet up at the beach for the year. So we'll see how that plays out with the Warriors. Brett, I know you're locked in with the combine, the draft coming up, evaluating players, looking at the playoffs and how that's going to you know, all shake out. But as a fan, how much have you enjoyed just the parity within the league this year and not really knowing who's going to be there at the end? Yeah, very much. I think that this year has been one of the most open years we've ever seen in the NBA. And we've been saying that ever since the first few weeks of the season. I mean, we saw teams get off the fast and hot starts, and obviously that early on, it doesn't mean much. But we're going into the final, what, three weeks of the season, and we still didn't know who was going to make the playoffs in the Western Conference. That race came down to the final few days of the regular season. And at the All-Star break in the Eastern Conference, there were still 13 teams in contention for playoff spots. So I think that the league's in a great place. Obviously, with this new CBA deal coming out, that's going to penalize these teams that spend a lot of money, and it's going to make it harder for them to create these, in quotes, super teams. I think that that's going to create even more parity in this league because you're going to see some of these low-market teams being able to spend the same amount as the Miami Heat, as the Milwaukee Bucks, the Boston Celtics, Golden State Warriors, the two teams in Los Angeles, simply because of all the salary restraints those teams are going to face. Just for example, you look at a team like the Warriors, they have over $200 million invested in payroll for next season, counting Draymond Green's player option. And assuming that they keep Green and all those guys around, they're going to face heavily taxed bills on their end, and they won't be able to go out in free agency and use their mid-level exception like other teams can. So it's going to create a lot of decisions for those teams that spend a lot of money. And for these lesser teams, like I just mentioned, they'll be able to get into the market for some of these bigger-name free agents. And who knows, maybe they'll be able to change their fortunes that have been present over the last few years. Brad, looking out west, what excites you the most about this Jokic-AD matchup who do you think has the most to gain? You got Jokic on one hand, who's been a two-time MVP, but hasn't gotten to the finals. But then you also have AD, who still gets so much criticism in the street clothes, Davis, nickname, all those things. And sometimes he takes nights off and, and can get criticized for that. So who do you think has the most to gain and what excites you most about them going you know, head-to-head? Well, obviously the most to gain is Nikola Jokic, and that's simply because the Nuggets haven't won a championship, and Nikola Jokic hasn't won a championship. They're the one seed in the West. They have high expectations for themselves, and everybody's been counting them out all season, including entering this series. I've been seeing a lot of people saying that they're taking the Lakers in five, Lakers in six. Nobody's really given the Nuggets credit. So if Jokic 
and Denver can win this series and advance to the NBA Finals, that will not only do a lot for his legacy, but if they reach the NBA Finals, I truly believe that they win it. I think if Jokic and the Nuggets get past the Lakers and they get there, they'll win their championship. Michael Malone wins his championship and all the doubt surrounding this franchise that is not necessarily a big market team. I mean, Denver's more of one of those small market teams, per se, but they, they win the Finals. That's going to change drastically for their franchise moving forward. It's going to change the outlook for what's going to happen for them in terms of free agency, in terms of the draft, in terms of just the belief and thinking around the league in them. Because right now, they're still in a class like the Memphis Grizzlies, the Los Angeles Clippers. Those teams that are good, you see them in the playoffs, but nobody really used them as the contending threats like when the the Suns were there a few years ago, when the Warriors are there, when the Lakers are there. So I think that Jokic definitely has the most of the game. But what I'm looking at in this series is can the Lakers defend the way that they did against the Warriors? Because when you look at that series, Clay Thompson was non-existent. And obviously he had tough shooting stretches, but you have to give Darvin Ham and the Lakers defense a ton of credit for scheming up different things to take him out of the picture. Jordan Poole was non-existent. Andrew Wiggins really didn't have that good of offensive performances other than that one 20-point game. So can they do the same thing that they did against Clay Thompson and others against Jamal Murray? Can they take him out of the picture and only make Nikola Jokic beat you? Can you take Michael Porter Jr. out of the perimeter there? So there's a lot of different question marks surrounding the Lakers' defense, and I think that their athleticism and their their wingspans and their length out on the perimeter, I think that that's actually going to bother Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. quite a bit in this series. He's Brett Siegel of Clutch Points, national NBA insider and reporter for Clutch Points. Thanks for making some time, Brett. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Bring us Wimby. (laughs) 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 Got to recruit Brett in there uh, with our seance ceremonies and whatnot that we need for the Pacers to win the NBA Draft Lottery tomorrow night. We'll continue to follow Brett's coverage, of course, throughout the NBA playoffs. And again, a potential monumental night for the Indiana Pacers tomorrow, depending on if the fates align with their <laughs> ping pong ball hopes tomorrow night in Chicago. We'll step aside for the final time. We come back. We got some bets for you. No NBA playoff action tonight, so we'll do it on the Diamonds in the MLB. I'm sure Eddie Garrison will push back on my bets as per usual here on The Fan. <laughs> Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Final time here on the Fan Midday Show. With James Boyd, I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison guiding us through the afternoon. We'll have James here in studio with us tomorrow as well as Friday Brian Nell on Wednesday, Lara Overton on Thursday as we get set again with another jam-packed week here on the Fan Midday Show. Before we go any further, though, we get some thoughts on not just the Pacers and the draft lottery tomorrow night, but the start of the conference finals. Let's take a look at some bets that we have this afternoon, shall we? The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Well, there's one thing Eddie Garrison likes to do more than anything. It's bet against me, but especially in the baseball ranks. Because I will concede, I will admit, Eddie has a fine-tuned, highly efficient pick-his-spot system with baseball bets. So I have two opportunities here for 
the younger statesman of the three of us to potentially <laughs> push back. I'm going to lay one and a half on the run line on the Arizona Diamondbacks today as they are in Oakland against the Athletics. My formula should probably be just bet against the Athletics whenever I can. They could go 500 the rest of the year and would still lose 90 plus games. I'm going to lay one and a half as well on the San Diego Padres as they host the Kansas City Royals. We battled, we scratched, we clawed. We were still below 500 last week. We were 8, 10, and 2. Last week, hoping to bounce back and start off the right way. This week, Eddie, any bets from you? And more importantly, will you be fading Jay Cook today? Okay, give them to me one more time. Going to lay one and a half on the run line for the Arizona Diamondbacks in Oakland. I'm going to lay one and a half on the run line for the San Diego Padres as they host the Royals. Oh, I can't. Can't do it? (laughs) No. (laughs) Royals suck and so do the A's. (laughs) You're sensing a pattern there in terms of uh, what I'm playing off of. Anything for you across the Major League Baseball slate tonight? Uh, I do kind of want to hone in on Shohei Otani against the uh, Baltimore Orioles here. Uh, I will take the over first five of three and a half. Grayson Rodriguez, he's a very talented rookie pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles, but Otani's prone to giving up one or two runs in the early in the, in the early stages of the game. So really, all you're banking on here or needing is about two runs from the Angels, two or three, and then Baltimore will for sure get one. Of course, that could be flipped the other way around if Otani has an off day on the bump. James, anything for you in, in the baseball landscape? Or are you sitting back? I'm not back a and huge just... baseball guy, but I was saying anything betting against Shohei Otani, I probably wouldn't do. <laughs> but also, advice. like the Angels are just. Uh, they're the angels. It, it's so funny. I see that tweet every time, like when Mike Trout and Shohei have great performances and they lose by like 13 runs. It's like, what is going on? So, um, yeah, wouldn't bet against Shohei though. It's so, like two um, Lamborghinis at a, <laughs> you know, with this shed. Yes, yes. seriously, yes. that's yeah. exactly what it is. It's like, you know, you're putting freaking regular gas in these things. What are we doing here? Yep. So, there's my baseball take for the day. I am going to throw one more bet out there, and I will put this on the front end that. I, there's no analysis here. There's nothing. There's zero. <laughs> this is not a bet the house type of thing. This is just straight up, oh yeah, that's right. There's a game seven tonight that I need action on. Oh yeah. Going to NHL playoffs. Yes. It's the Seattle Kraken against the Dallas Stars. Uh, I had with? the uh, I had game six on the other night. Uh, we'll do an Indiana sports talk. Uh, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the road team. We'll go with the Kraken at plus one sixty. I'm gonna take the juice. Again, like I said, I'll still include hey. it in my total, but I'm not this is not a bet of confidence. By any means, the it's best, just I want action. The best bet in that game tonight is the over five and a half. Well, it's six now. Does that matter to you? Uh, it's five and a half on FanDuel. Okay, it's six so on DraftKings. So that's why, that's why you got to go with the blue right, book I'll, sometimes. I'll, wait, there's no sportsbook sponsorship <laughs> conflict. I, I can be bought. I'm willing to move across the path <laughs> and go to FanDuel. It doesn't take much. I will take the over five and a half. Okay. I do like that, yes. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Uh, if you're like me, my, my hockey knowledge is, is slim to none. Uh, but also, the Blackhawks have been pretty dominant for most of your life when you look at you know, you were complaining earlier about Chicago sports not delivering for you it's as a youth. The uh, Blackhawks at least did that for most of your life. Yeah, I was visiting family yesterday in Chicago, and they were like, man, the Blackhawks got the number one pick. The Bears got the number one pick. You know, <laughs> The Bulls are getting the number one pick tomorrow. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. It's coming down here, down I-65 to Indianapolis. Women Yamba to the Pacers. You heard it here first. Look, I've mentioned how irate I'll be if Detroit winds up getting Women Yamba, <laughs> which, again, they have the highest chance to do it. They were the worst team last year, but, man, you talk about the yearning for the Pacers to finally make a leap. If he ends up in Chicago, oh my goodness. 
That will not be a happy day on Wednesday. That's all I know. <laughs> Might be all black. Born here in studio. <laughs> That's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. And he's going to be in here again tomorrow. Special thanks to Mark Jane, Stephen Holder, and Brett Siegel. Podcast will be up. Search Fan Midday Show wherever you get your podcast. The fun continues next. Ride with JMV is here on The Fan.